Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotics. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin Markland and I create the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit thereptilereport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is it's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you've got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our Buy It Now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad that also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buying and selling? Use shipyourreptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live, on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit ShipYourReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related. Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio, number 244. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Jeff Murray about insular boas. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, Candoya, Corallus, and Chilobothrus. How about that, Owen? <laughs> There's so many scientific names going on right now. I mean... <laughs> I'm going to have numerous windows open to try to just get the common names because I'm going to butcher it and I don't want the emails tomorrow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, well, no fear. We have Rob. That is correct. <laughs> Rob is here to help us. Rob get is here through. to save us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do the best I can anyway. This yeah. is no. a section of tough ones for sure. <laughs> yeah, but now there's, now there's three of us. And if three of us fail... It was just these words were never meant to be spoken aloud. That's just it right there. So, yeah, it's fine. If there was just the two of us, then it's just Eric and I being idiots and can't talk. Now Rob's here. It's okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't really have too much experience with uh, insular boas. Um, I've never really worked with them. I know, oh, and you have worked with Dominican yeah, red yeah, mountain yeah. boas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks of all. I love them. I'm I'm reading the outline and I'm going through it. I'm like, you know, why do I have to do the Dominican Red Mountain Boa question? God damn it. But it's because I have them. Yeah. 
they're my yeah. joys. So, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, um, we should be having Jeff come on in a couple minutes. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I guess we'll, we'll, what's going on with you guys? Rob, you're more interesting <laughs> than I am. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, I figured you'd, you'd hop in there, Owen. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. So the breeding season is just kicking off for me with all the uh, colubrid stuff and the, the boas that I keep. So that's very exciting. I have a gravid rubber boa, so that's very cool. Uh, looks like heading towards that way for a couple rosies. Should start getting some ferrite clutches here in the next, hopefully, 15 to 18 days, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, it should be good. And I followed Eric's lead. I got my website all up. All the links work. They all go somewhere. They all do something. Have all my pairings for this year up. Uh, Owen, I don't know if you can say the same. But, uh, nope. yeah, no, it's all good to go. So check it out, rhinorats.com. No, I cannot. <laughs> Let that slide. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. The site looks cool, man. I I dig it. It's real, real good job on that. Um, so thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, and then you guys are you got something going this weekend, right? Yeah, this weekend is uh, Southern Carpet Fest, uh, second mm-hmm. annual. Uh, we're headed down to Texas uh, to hang out with our good friend Bill. Um, if you're in the area. Uh, Arlington, Texas, be sure to uh, come on by. It's not just uh, for carpet python people. It's uh, for any kind of reptile people, really. Um, Good time, good food, good drink, good people. What more can you ask for, you know? (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. Plus, you know, I get to to ride in Owen's suitcase on the way down. So it's it's good time. (laughs) I'll make sure I pick you up from baggage claim. I only I only let you go around the carousel a few times. So uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this should be a good time. Uh, you you'll yeah. you'll you'll really dig it, Owen. I'm sure. Um, well, will I not want to leave bills? So. <laughs> I think you'll be wanting uh, ball pythons when you come back from there. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. I mean that's. No, <laughs> you you one day, one day, you might sway me on Angolans because they're not ball pythons and they're kind of weird and they're bumpy. So it's like the ball python version of the ruffy. You might be able to sway me on Angolans if I'm really drunk. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the ball pythons just do nothing for me. So probably never going to get there. Sorry, buddy. But... No, man. I don't know. I'm looking You'll... forward to it. Um, I don't know how I'm going to make small talk with you on the plane. I mean, you and I barely speak as is. So. <laughs> what did yeah. you have to bring for the extra money to choose your seats so you can actually sit next to each other? Oh. I don't know. Eric did all this. <laughs> uh, well, I yeah. I, I, I think we did. Literally in the overhead storage bin. I, I don't know how he did this. So, <laughs> you know. Owen is down in I the can, bottom of the plane with the uh, with the. I luggage. knew it. I'm in a dog crate. Yes, it's. Um, we're gonna be loading me into Delta. It's gonna be like, all right, Owen, we'll see you when we get there. Drill, drill, and then I'm out. So yeah. That's how you got such a good price. Okay, it makes sense. I know. I understand yep, now. See, okay. Dangerous live Owen in 
slap that on the crate, and then off I go. So, yeah. I think, I think you know, these these type of things are probably one of the, uh, you know, I think it's one of the funnest uh, parts of the reptile hobby, you know, getting to hang mm-hmm. out with, with people, fellow reptile keepers, and, you know, just shoot the and, shit and get to know them and, you know, make new friends. That's the weird that's the weird thing is that before we started with Carpet Fest five years ago, how many of these were out there? There was just Tinley Park and other the other multi-day shows where you could hang out with each other after the show. I mean, yeah. and that's what's funny. It's like I've been explaining it to people because people have been asking me where I'm going, and I'm like, well, you know, it's Carpet Fest. And they're like, well, I thought Carpet Fest was at your house. I'm like, it is, Northeast Carpet Fest. They're like, there are more? And I'm like, yes. And then I sat there, I'm like, holy crap. There are more. It's like we we did this. It's like yeah, there are five now. It's like that's awesome. So you kind of get to get all excited about it every time you have to explain why I won't be home this weekend <laughs> or at Hamburg. So you know, come yeah. on, dude. This is yeah. much better than Hamburg. By the way, Northwest Carpet Fest <laughs> <laughs> is um, uh, they picked a date and it's going to be mm-hmm. September tenth. So. September. Uh, September 10th, right. yeah. Stay tuned. Look at their Facebook page, Northwest Carpet Fest, uh, for more info. You know, it's it's a it's a ways out, but um, I guess as they get closer, you know, they'll they'll keep people updated. Okay. But and you know. speaking of, speaking of Carpet Fest, if you have yep. not yet purchased your shirt for the Northwest Carpet Fest, go do that now. Northeast Pause. Carpet Fest. Whatever. <laughs> Damn it. I've ruined it. Turn off the show. It's gone now. Northeast Carpet Fest. Um, go over. Pause everything. Go do that now. Um, we actually, I found out that the booster, uh, they're doing international shipping now. So if you are in Australia or any other place, you can go ahead and just type it in normal, your address, and they will send it directly from the booster manufacturer straight to you, mailed out to you. So That's no pretty awesome. Waiting. You won't get your shirt in like July when I finally get around to sending it to you, and it also stops. It also stops the random shirts that appear at my house that say like two O and McIntyre, four O and McIntyre. I'm like, that's not correct. I already have my shirt. Whose is this? So yeah, just go do that and go get your shirts, and do not make me reopen the booster this year. I swear to God. So yeah. Now Owen. The most critical yep. point, right, is of the three of us on here right now, only one has not signed up to purchase a shirt, and it's not you or me. Yeah, that would be me. I wasn't go- <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, Rob, but yeah. I'm glad you did. Now, that would be me. of the radio show has yet to purchase a shirt. Uh, it's yeah, a I- great example for the children. <laughs> so, You know I'm a procrastinator. I always wait till the last minute. <laughs> That's not true. You're usually the first one that orders. It's yeah. Usually, I, the booster goes live. Eric orders. Rob orders. Owen orders. I'm usually the procrastinator. Don't take this away from me. <laughs> well, I want you to have to reopen it. <laughs> you know? I know where you live. Yeah, so I true. Don't you dare. <laughs> now, I got to get three of them. Um, you know. Three? So, Jesus. Yeah. Well, I usually buy whoever the artist is uh, of the uh, ah, okay. shirt. I got you. I got one for Jim. So he's not the artist. 
No, Jim, no, dear God, no. It would be horrible if we had him design a shirt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even so, want to think of that. So, so yeah, I um, I uh, plans my um, uh, pairings pretty poorly because my eggs will be hatching <laughs> on, <laughs> on Saturday <laughs> when, uh, you know, that's miles away. Yeah. <laughs> While I'm in Texas, so. Um, so is your wife gonna check on them for you, or are you having your brother do it? Nah, she'll do it. She'll check it okay. out. Yeah. She's cool. Like getting that. texts about babies peeking when you're in Texas. Yeah. So. Nah, yeah. If be... you don't manually, if you don't manually pip, it takes a day or two. They'll probably still be hatching when we come back. So. Yeah, I um I use those uh, now I forget the name of the things the uh, uh you know those um, incubator boxes egg boxes the sim I mean, containers sim containers yeah, the, yeah, yeah the they work pretty good yeah. man yeah you know? uh, Andrew uses them for his monitors so yeah I like know. them a lot I wish they had latching lids for the monitors because when something is born with hands it can easily open the little lid and then there's a lizard loose in my incubator. So that's just my critique on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The lid is kind of a little, not, not, yeah. It's, it kind of just maybe sits on the top. It's kind of, it, 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 it gets on there, but it's not like you don't hear clicks and there's no latches. So there's nothing to contain everything. I don't know if that's for airflow or whatever, but, um, there was a mangrove monitor loose in my incubator for about a week um, before we ended up re-recovering it. So, and that's all they, and they just, they just pop open the thing. So now when we get close to his eggs hatching, I like packing tape them in there. So it's like, there's like several rolls of packing tape around it so that they can hatch and stay in the box. So. Okay. That's yeah, my I've... product tip for the week. So. The only thing that uh, that I don't that I didn't like, well, it's not that I didn't like, but it made me nervous was the uh, when you're taking the uh, egg box and putting it in the incubator because there's water in the bottom, it kind of mm-hmm. like moves back and forth as you're walking, you know, so you kind of have to walk really careful, and you know, I'm sure I'm sure I <laughs> right. can come up with another way to do that, but I don't know. That was my only, uh, you know issue i guess but uh mike curtain was telling me uh last year at our carpet fest that um you know he that that the babies had hatched out um and they seemed much healthier and uh they 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 were bigger uh they ate better i don't know i don't i don't know if that's you know that was his observation but we'll see yeah yeah why not cool deal well, uh I don't know if you guys have anything else, but it looks like um looks like we may have uh Jeff on the line. So let me click him on and Owen you cool. can get Hey Jeff, welcome to Morelia <laughs> Welcome to Morelia hey, how are you? Radio. Pretty good. Ooh. Glad to be here. Very good. Definitely. So thanks for coming on and talking to uh, us about some boas that 
we have only had very few dealings with, so you're going to have to give us the expertise on it. Um, but first, Jeff, why don't you tell us what kind of got you started into reptiles in general? Oh, I was I was just one of those kids that got out of the house after breakfast and didn't come home till dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. I mean, turning over logs, slipping tin. You know, my mother wouldn't put her put my clothes away in the uh, the dresser because she never knew what was, you know, what I had hidden in there. So mm-hmm. one of those childhoods. And okay. It, it and grew they... from there. Okay. Very cool. What were some of your uh, first reptiles that you ended up keeping? Uh, Matrix, you know, water snakes. Uh, just mm-hmm. I moved around a lot, so whatever whatever was in that particular state, I always went out and found. Kept it for a little while, a week or two, and then always let it loose. <clears throat> cool. Hmm. So w- what drew you to uh, the rare boas? Uh I really started out with the boa constrictor group mm-hmm. and uh, constant, I had a pretty nice collection at one point and uh, constant uh, deployments. Uh, it, was, it ended up being too much for the wife to handle the entire collection. So um, I told her to sell off, you know, go ahead and sell it off because I wasn't going to be back for a year. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I got out, uh, and we all know what the legislation uh, was looking like a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. uh, I decided, well, not putting much faith in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife to do the right thing, I decided I'd go for something that might take them a long time to come after. So mm-hmm. I decided to get into the West Indian stuff. Okay. And that's where, where I am now. Okay. And uh, what type of collection are you working with size-wise? Uh, as in numbers? Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot of animals. Um, okay. <laughs> mostly... Uh, let's let's just say 15 subs, subflavas, uh, about 30, 30 uh, Puerto Ricans, uh, and it gets smaller from there. The tapers off. Right. Okay. And it just mo- uh, mostly all boa, or is there some kind of diversity and a few other things there? Uh, I have a quite a bit of the West Indian Caribbean stuff. And uh, I keep Sanzinia, the Mandarin, Volantani. Uh, that sort of pays for the hobby. Mm-hmm. I don't make any money at it. I just like to keep it uh, cost neutral as best I can, you know, since it's yeah. a hobby and it's a money hole otherwise. Uh, some arboreal stuff that, you know, I've always, always loved arboreal uh, boas, so. They come in the gray. All right. Uh, can you talk about how there was, I think it was some kind of taxonomical shift for a lot of this stuff from uh, Epicrides to 
what is it, Chilibrothus? Or I'm butchering these names, I already know I am. Yeah, it's a it's a terrible name, but uh blame Doomrule. <laughs> um the uh when they when they went when they went back through and looked at the uh Epicrates, the rainbow boas and they I think they cut it down to five instead of the many subspecies that they originally had. Uh mm-hmm. then they looked they went back and looked at the West Indian stuff and did some testing and realized that it was it was sufficiently different from the Epicrates. Uh so they went back and uh eighteen forty four is when Doomerl described uh the uh Chilobothrus. Uh okay. this the year before that, it, uh, I think it was Reinhardt described boa internata, the Puerto Rican boa. Uh, and I guess Dumoul realized that it wasn't a boa. So <clears throat> uh, Reynolds, when uh, he and the rest of his gang uh, reclassified some of the, the species and subspecies, they, uh, they just went back with the original name. Okay. That Dumal Dumal used, and it made sense. You know. Not that anybody so you're, knew so you're that. Definitely, so you're definitely for going back to the uh, Dumal's original taxonom- taxonomy. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, if you follow the whatever laws and uh, you know the rules and regulations that uh, you know they set up, and they change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense to do it. Uh, using Dumal's original description. Cool. So, are there a, a lot of importation problems when it comes with these kind of guys? Because I do know there are several species that are still widely imported into the United States out of these boas. Uh, I don't... Uh... I don't know of any that are being imported. Okay. Um, most of most of those countries uh don't allow the export of their of their, their wildlife anymore. Um everything that we wow. have here. Okay. Uh for example, the last Gracilis and Ford's boa, Ford Eye, uh came in around the 93, 94, 95 time frame. And that was the last time uh, that they came in. So we're all work, we're working with offspring and in some cases the relics uh, from that time period. So. Very cool. It's been a, it's so, been a, uh, a crazy time trying to go back and find all this stuff. Uh, in a small group of us that they keep this. Keep the West Indian dollars. Wow! So they've they've shut it down completely. So there's none yeah. of them coming in at all. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know how money is. I mean, if, yeah. if you had the contacts and the money, they they could conceivably issue an export permit, and then it wouldn't be a problem bringing them in. Um, True. But you know, who's willing? You know, who's willing to do that? It, 
do all that. Yeah. Right, Jeff. I suppose one um, the one exception, right, would be the Haitian boas, up to and including the Dominican stuff, right? Yeah, they're all they're all the same. It just happens to be. Uh, uh, Reynolds said they're found uh, through a wide range on the uh, Dominican side of the uh, of the island. Uh, and mostly, uh, not the red, but the all the morphs that people uh, yeah. produce, uh, a lot of that. Uh, and genetically, they didn't test out any differently than striatus. So, you know, there's where it is. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the, kind of the only ones I've seen. Um, you know, typically you'd see it, you know, I remember seeing it shows. But five to ten years ago, you'd see that we're obviously wild Haitian boas, you know, before even the thing was popularized. Yeah, way, way back in the 90s, the late 80s, they'd bring the the wild-caught ones in, they'd drop a bunch of babies, and they'd sell the babies, you know, to the public for $15, $20 a piece, and they'd all die off because they're, you know, anole eaters. Right. Uh, yeah. Trying to feed them pinks. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a it's sort of a niche boa, the entire genus really. So you're uh yeah. you're just Yeah, you, you have to like a challenge. So <laughs> and a lot of people don't like a challenge. So Yeah. And it's expensive lizard you know, initially. Yeah, I, I mean, a uh, pack of fuzzies versus a, I don't know, however you'd get. Uh, I bought the knolls for my guys, and that was much more expensive. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, do you, uh, do you have any thoughts, Jeff, on uh, feeding, whether it be cycle feeding or prey variability, kind of changing it up for the guys, kind of seeing what they'll take, what they'll eat, um, mixing up their diet a little bit? Uh, Most everything, with the exception of the uh, Cuban boa, Mm -hmm. starts off on anoles, and it may take, some of them may go three months, some of them may go, I've had some of my chrysogaster took almost two years to get them switched over. Jeez. So uh, at that point, you don't want to go back and introduce a variable <laughs> because <laughs> then you, you know, you could end up, you know, yeah, feeding iguanas at that point. So, yeah. <laughs> once they're that off, you keep sense. them off if you can. Uh, occasionally, right. you have to jumpstart a male. Um, after after breeding season, uh, and the only way to do that is to take a step backward and uh, throw a large anole in there. <clears throat> right. I could I could see that. Um, so now I saw that you called your hair dryer your best friend beside your wife. Um, what does that mean, number one? Uh, and then number two, uh, what is the percentage of boas that you're 
getting to feed using, I, I, I assume this is a feeding method now. Yeah, it's, uh, I used to do it with, with the wife's hair dryer without her knowing about it. And, uh, <laughs> she, finally, she caught me and, uh, okay. So by the end, I think, I think the next day I had my own hair dryer. Um, <laughs> but what it does is, uh, occasionally you can get away with a warm, wet rodent or a hot, wet rodent. Um, but it can, mm-hmm. there are some, some boas that just turn their nose up at that and hitting it with a hair dryer, <clears throat> putting the, uh, like a water bowl that's big enough the hair dryer fits in and uh, mm-hmm. leave it on for two to three minutes, throw a rodent in there off to the side and then present that. And for some reason, uh, even recalcitrant feeders, uh, will go for it or really some of the imports. Yeah. Some of the, some of the Australis that I just got in will feed like that. But if you stick hmm. a, a frozen thawed or a wet one in front of the face, they ignore it. So it just works. I don't know why. Been so doing it for about 20 just, years. <clears throat> so you're just heating up the bowl itself and then putting the rodent in? Yeah, if you, you put the rodent in the as rodent. soon as you, no, if you if you throw the rodent in there as soon as you turn the hair dryer on, the skin, mm-hmm. uh, the minute that boa hits hits that rat, it will explode because the skin will be too thin. Wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, then you have a mess. So yeah, avoid it's better that. Better heat the heat the bowl up, then drop it in. Um, I I shoot it with a, a gun as soon as the the head of the rodent's around 125, and it doesn't take long at all. Uh, I just present it. It's a good way to get live feeders off of live food uh, yeah. using the like same that technique. Idea. So, I mean, how? what's your percentage of boas that you've kind of gotten to take on this? I mean, is it a pretty high amount? Yeah, it's about half, you know. Nice. The little Puerto Rican boas, um, I get a, a small percentage of those to uh, take a hot pink that's never been in the water, uh, just heat it up real hot and stick it in its face, and, and uh, they pop it. Not all the time, but, you know, those are the ones that I don't have to scent, and I can move on to, you know, the problem figures. <clears throat> right. So do you cuts, have any other kind of... It cuts down my work. Of course, which is the whole point of all that stuff. Um, Do you have any tips and tricks that you can kind of go through with getting some babies to eat? I mean, I know when I had my litter of Dominicans, I mean, I kind of tried everything, and then I eventually just ended up doing live anoles for a little bit until I could get them onto frozen thawed rodents. You can... uh... You can pluck the down from a chicken or a chick and fill a little, mm-hmm. you know, container. Take a wet pink, toss it in there, shake it up until it looks like a tiny miniature chick. It's nothing but fuzz. Uh, okay. You deli cup, deli cup them. Um, you can rip. I won't say rip. You can remove part of the tail from an anole and. Uh, the tail tends to bleed a little bit. Rub that right. all over the face and head of the pink, 
leave it in overnight. Uh, you can break off a piece of that tail and stick it in the mouth. Uh, you can, uh, without your wife knowing, take a saucepan and simmer two or three anoles and keep adding water so that you've got okay. basically about one inch of anole broth. Anole stuck, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you just stick pinks in there, let them soak for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, and then leave them in overnight uh, and freeze the stock. You can use it uh, three, four times, and then it starts it starts to go bad. Okay. Um, I didn't and that works that, too. About an oily stock. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I like the anole stock. Yeah, you just have to get uh, creative. That's all. Awesome. Um, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna go down and break down some of the species that you work with. Um, I hope I'm saying this right, but is it uh, strigulatus? Is that how you say it? Strigulatus. Strigulatus. Okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, can you tell us about maybe what type of environment these guys are in um, and how common they are in the hobby? Uh well, the, the original wines um, are from an old male from the 90s uh, that, that a buddy traded a pair of bimini's for, and then another buddy of mine ended up with a female that he found uh, could have been on King Snake somewhere uh, and realized what he was looking at. So uh, that's one line. Um, Crutchfield had another line. And uh, there's another animal that surfaced. So there's, there's basically three three different patterns that, you know, we're able to work with. Um, okay. They aren't that common at all, but uh, they do have pretty big litters. So I would think that in the next five or six years that, uh, you know, they won't be as, as common as DRNBs, but uh, you should be able to find them if you're looking for them. Do you find that um that like with species like this that uh people are starting to pay attention again? It seems like there's a sort of a resurgence in um keeping those uh you know, more niche species. Uh do you see people getting interested in in these boas? Uh yeah, they are. I it the folks that are taking an interest in some of the stuff that I have are uh kind of collectors of everything gotcha and they add one of this that I might have or one of that uh, but uh, I don't think they'll ever be like rat snakes you know colubrids and whatnot. not where you, you, know, you have a large collection I don't think they'll ever they'll ever reach that point uh, right you just have to leave it to the masochists to uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. Take up, you know, having an entire collection of them. Right. So, what about the environment that they're from? What is uh? Uh, It's just you know Caribbean, uh, very hot during the day, and uh, you know people think, well, you know, I I need to provide you know eighty five, eighty six degrees during the day, and it's 
you know, nothing could be further than the truth. These guys are either back in a brick wall or, you know, under something where it's probably 80 degrees at the most, you know. Right. And that's why they come out at night because, you know, the temperature drops uh, down into the 70s. Right. So, uh, but they're becoming less and less common um, simply because of, you know, turning these islands into parking lots. Right. Uh, so I'm, I would I would hope that uh, we might see some importing of some of the endangered stuff, uh, really rare animals like Exul, Chrysogaster, and uh, some of the more uncommon stuff, only just so it's, it's in the hands of, you know, responsible people. The zoos have no interest in working with <clears throat> with these animals. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, look at it from their point of view. Uh, You know, a a brown, mean uh, (laughs) Puerto Rican boa doesn't have the ooh-ah factor of a 20-foot retic, you know? Yeah. So, so, I mean, what are they going to pay to see? Yeah, that's true. Not some snake banging on the glass, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. No. I mean, um, you had I, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I have uh, a trio of adult Puerto Ricans that were given, to, uh, gifted to me from a zoo for that very reason. You know, really? they wanted to use that display pay, uh, space for, you know, something that would draw you know folks into the zoo. Right. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they have to offer it to the other zoos before they can offer it, uh, you know, outside of... <laughs> and nobody, nobody they, took it. Nobody nobody raised their hand. Okay? So right. What, is it, what does that tell you? Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, I know you had mentioned on your Facebook page that uh, this is one of your favorite of the Bahama boas. What is it about them that you like so much? Uh, just the... The color, um, if you, it, you'd have to see a berry, a bimini, and a Bahamas boa, you know, in the same tub, and you would probably your eyes would probably be drawn to the Strigolatus. It's just they're just a pretty boa, right? You know, gun black or uh, gunmetal blue with silver and gray. And they're just beautiful boas. You know, some of some of the other stuff can be like a muddy brown. Uh, they're not ugly by any means, but the uh, the Bahamas boas are just really beautiful animals. Awesome. So, what about you know, like care requirements for them? Like what size caging, uh, feeding, temps, anything like that? Uh, well, they're active animals. Um, they uh, they need uh, the adults will need at least four feet of uh, of ground space. I keep mine uh, four feet by two feet deep by twelve inches high uh, with uh, radiant heat panels and a hide box on both ends so they can move back and forth. But they're very you know they're they're very active snakes. 
Okay. And I'm curious, is are are you feeding them? Is it do you follow a schedule? Are you feeding them seasonally, or is it weekly, monthly? What what kind of I, uh, feeding schedule? I've always been a bigger fan of uh, smaller and more often. Okay. Um, they, if you feed them as babies like that, they they tend to be better feeders uh, as adults, especially males. Um, because if you're going to lose an animal, 90% of the time, <clears throat> it's going to be the male. And uh, as far as seasonally goes, they get, I mean, they go off feed when the, you know, when the weather tells them to and uh, their instinct kicks in and that's, uh, Probably my favorite time of the year because it saves me a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> and I feed I feed the females if it's smaller meals if if they'll take it. Right. And uh, also all the grabbing. Usually okay. a first time mother won't uh, won't eat, but on the second letter she may she may feed sparingly. Okay. All right. Cool. Hi, Jeff. This is Rob Stone. We had a Facebook message back and forth a couple weeks ago about my uh, Australis female, potentially gravid Australis female. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, Eric wanted me to talk about the Chrysogastrin. That fits great because I really, really like those. Dave Tracer, who's local to me, had picked up some a handful of years ago, and they're those are really a special bow, and I know um, I used to work out at Denver Zoo, and the Turkey Caicos project was actually a really big um, project at Denver for a long time. So those uh, those are some special bows you have. Um, what? Uh, how many of them are you working with? Um, I have five, um, four here, and one down with a buddy uh, in Florida, only because it's going on four or five years old and it's still like scented or large and always. So sure. um, do you have any yourself? I don't. Uh, Dave had gotten those and otherwise they just seem, you know, relatively unavailable, not to mention the, uh, the price point for sure, but uh, they're certain, they're certainly gorgeous. Yeah. Um, the guys that, uh, I work with two other guys to bring some in from Switzerland. And that's pathetic, isn't it? <laughs> um, I mean, they they started out in Canada. Um, as, as best we can tell, we've come up with a flow chart. And uh, the Chrysogaster are all related uh, from just a few lines. Uh, Thomas Huff's um, Breeding Foundation, uh, the Reptile Breeding Foundation, around 1978. And they went overseas, um, and it, I don't know, maybe six years ago, we brought in 1.2 adults from Switzerland. Uh, and my buddies in the early 2000s brought them in from Denmark and the U.K., but they're all related. I mean, these are just offspring of the offspring of the offspring. Uh, yeah. Um we yeah, don't get any stripes. Dave has, sorry, 
Go ahead. Uh, we don't get any stripes. So I'm, I'm assuming that 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 gene's been bred out. Obviously, right. it's there the most popular. Uh, I would imagine in the in the original group, uh, uh, Crutchfield says that they they can throw both, but I would think that if you know, it's sort of like annulatus when you have colored babies and the brown babies. People yeah. want the colored babies. Um, well, when they die off and all you have are brown, you produce those. You get a few. You get a few colors. They die off, and then you're breeding brown to brown, and you don't have any colors left. Uh, which is basically where we're at with the with the Chrysogaster. We've had three litters and no stripes. So, you know, that should tell you. Pretty much, uh, these are so Fred, where we're at inbred. Yeah. Yeah. Though, uh, those lots, I think, are probably my favorite look, but you'd rather have the diversity to be producing both, I think. Yeah. Um, well, the uh, there's a there's a curator retiring or has retired in. Uh, um, I think he has some animals out on loan. So if they haven't passed away um, and he he can get them back, uh, we might be able to do a little more with what we have. Yeah, that would be great. The ones, the ones they've got, I think, came from, from Tom. Did Tom have a litter a few years ago? Uh, yeah. He had uh, actually he had um, three or four babies last year, and the ones that he had prior to that were produced in the same litter as mine uh, okay. that mine came from. So um, I've had these things ever since they were you know baby anole eaters, uh, sure. and I guess they're they're going on five five yeah five years old now. Yeah, yeah, so that sounds right. Do they have relatively small litters? Uh, I think the uh I think my buddy told me that it was about eight babies per and uh Tom says they can have much more than that, so uh again it could be the inbreeding is causing, you know, the sure. low the low pre- reproductive numbers. So we'll have to uh, I just don't know how we're going going to get any more in right now. Right, and it, especially the you know it seems like it's not just a number of specimens question. If all the specimens throughout the world, excepting their native habitat, are related back to the seventies, you know it doesn't really solve anything to be getting new animals from Europe or something along those lines. No, I mean we brought them just because the numbers were so low here in the U.S. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, How many do you think there are at this point in the U.S.? Uh, well, there's the group at uh, Tom's, which is comprised of uh, both of both of my friends' animals and the group that we brought in from Switzerland. Um, and I'm guessing there's five or six there, and then uh, the offspring that the two litters that were produced. I'm not quite sure where all of that stuff went. All I know is um, my animals 
um, I kept. I didn't sell any. You know, my cut, if you will, uh, right. of the litters. I, I got some from the first litter and the second litter. Very um, cool. Yeah, I mean, you're super jealous. They're, they're certainly an amazing, amazing snake. It was funny you brought up the uh, annulated, and then we'll hop back in one second. But uh, I, I don't know if you remember, too, I was also the original owner of your male annulatus that's the uh, the mixed orange and uh, brown animal that I that came in from Costa Rica and I got from Cameron and sold to the fellow in California that you got uh, got him from. Funky Y? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, so that was your animal, huh? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that so that was I think the spring of '06, something like that. Yeah, um, Dwyer. Uh, I had that animal at the expo in Daytona way way back when and Dwyer saw it and uh, he said there were three in that litter that were like that. Um, and did I, they I'm keep any of them or did they send them, send them all? Because there, there was another, there certainly was a female as well that was a like a, a gray more than a brown um, and she had these really big inside of her side patterning, had these really big pink pinkish white splotches um and i'm not sure if it certainly seemed weird relative to the rest of the group but um it was a special uh certainly a special litter for sure yeah um i lost that animal about two and a half years ago um it had a kink before the vent when i got it Hmm. um and uh it was an on and off again feeder. I was just, I was, I just really wanted to use it to get it to breed and yeah. uh, it's away in the middle of the breeding season. So uh, kind of broke my heart. So yeah, I don't, for sure. I don't, so he, I don't think we'll see that thing again, you know, that kind of animal. Right. I mean, it was, it was certainly something did. Uh, and he, so he has not produced any more like that, obviously, I guess. <laughs> certainly. I no. No, um, I've had three litters. Uh, this this past uh, December was my third litter, um, but the first two litters were brown to brown pairings. Um, first litter produced no coloreds. The second litter produced one colored, uh, and I immediately sent that off to a buddy who's got uh, six or seven of my my animals, some of which are colored. Uh, and then uh, I hung on to a couple that are going on five and six now. <clears throat> but uh, Very cool. kind of an afterthought this year. I don't know that I'll produce anything. I just threw them together kind of willy-nilly. I didn't really plan to do it. So I doubt I'll produce anything, but I will give it a go this fall. Yeah, no. Right, you did get some again. last last fall, right? And they, it seemed like a lot of the whole litter was colored. Is that right? Yeah. Um, there were five live colored, three stillborn colored, and two, excuse me, two um, black uh, stillborn. And, and it's more my fault. Um, I was having a basement redone, I had all the cages unplugged and pushed inward to the middle, all facing inward. 
and it would mm-hmm. be three days, I guess, before I, I got the walls finished enough to pull everything apart and plug it back in, and that's when I found uh, I found she had the litter. So yeah. they probably, it was a little a little cool. I didn't think, you know, it would hurt any of the adult animals. <clears throat> but she had gone past her... <clears throat> her drop dead date, so I just assumed that she wasn't gravid. And that one's on me. Right. And that's the trick with these boas compared to Eric and Owen are both Python guys and they got it a lot easier for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean they, it's not completely obvious when they do when they do become gravid. Um one day you can look at them and go, Yeah, I think she is and the next day you go, No, she's not <laughs> For sure. They even That's feed, what that so. Australis is doing to me right now. Well, and, I'm uh, hoping that uh, you can drop you can drop some babies. Yeah, I mean, hopefully she certainly looks large. You know, I've seen some other people's on the Candelia Corner page. Seems like even Jeff's looks, you know, pretty pretty large in the posterior there, and certainly there was good follicle development. So. In my, you know, in mine, and I saw activity, but no confirmed population. So, if she is, I just hope they're good, and I don't, you know, wait five or six months to get a bunch of slugs, you know. Yeah, don't you love boas? (laughs) 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 I know when you when they drop an egg, it's yeah, that's good. Nope, that's not. You know, but you got to wait six months to go. Ooh, that's dead. It's a real bummer. The uh, to return to the Chrysogaster for a second, um, sure. in terms of what you've got, what uh, what are you keeping them in, and what in terms of the temp cycle, are you, are you running those similar to the rest of the stuff where you're doing maybe high 70s up to, uh, you know, under the heat available up to high 80s, something like that, or how are you approaching um, uh High 70s on the cool side, and uh, the uh, on the I have the heat panel laying against the back wall uh, at ground level so they can they can rest up against it. Uh, and that way I don't have to produce a lot of heat because the the, sure. uh, the probe is right there. And uh, I set it for 85 degrees, and, and that's the hot spot. And they, they pretty much only go there for one or two hours in the morning, and then they'll come back out. Uh, before the lights go out and lay up against that heat. So I've got what I'm hoping are two gravid females. We'll we'll see what happens in uh, all October, somewhere around there. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, finger, all our fingers are crossed for you because that you know just always great to see more of those. And at some point, I'd like there to be enough of them that that I can get a small group myself. You know, selfish purposes. So. <laughs> You know, you know how that goes. So, um, in terms of feeding the adults, are, are they mice eaters? Strictly mice eaters. Once, yeah. once you can get them eating them. Um, I, I've had I've had them take uh, rat pinks. Okay. Um, but I mean, these guys are five years old, and they're still taking at best a medium mouse. Yeah. I would think that by the time they're fifteen or twenty years old, they might be able to take a large mouse. <laughs> right, the time these, these are very long-lived animals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My uh, 
buddy of mine has Exul. Uh, they belong to. Does he really? Group, that uh, was a question yeah. for later. Okay, well, we'll cover it then. No, but no, no, no <laughs> feel free. Feel free. That was just going to be. Are they here? You know, is it is it um, a thing? Well, so. he uh, they belonged uh, to a zoo guy, um, but the, the zoo that had them uh, really wasn't doing anything with them, so he had the zoo ship the Exul to him. And uh, these animals are eh, well; they're around 29 years old, 30 years old when he when he got them. And uh, he got two tiny litters, uh, so I, I believe there's a perfect 2.2 that are now two and three years old. That's totally fabulous. Uh, yeah, that's that's phenomenal. That's like the miracle birth, you know. Right. Are are the adults still around at this point, or? Um, a couple have rolled just due to old age, and there's really no point in trying to breed a 35-year-old animal. Um, sure. There is about a 15-year-old female, so between the 2.2 and her, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you know they can keep the lines this this species going in the states. I'm assuming it also came from uh, Canada, you know, from the Thomas Huff RBF. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's not uh, not a facility that I'm familiar with. Um, do you have any? I mean, uh, is it still around, or is it? Uh, no, uh, Huff. Huff. I, I believe it was cancer. He passed away from cancer in the late '80s or early '90s. Um, but he did some pioneer work with um, breeding Jamaicans and the West Indian bows. He had, uh, I want to say, McCraney eye and uh, some of the other never seen uh right. striatus uh ailerus and that kind of thing so nobody knows where all that stuff went though yeah i mean it's uh, hopefully hopefully someday right for some someday somehow and just hope hope for the best cuz a lot of truly amazing stuff yeah it is it's uh it's uh I mean, what more could you want? (laughs) (laughs) Right, for sure. Well, I can think of a few things, but... uh... Everybody has their own little thing that they're after and that they want. Um, Yeah. But, so this is a project that kind of fell into my lap, and that was the Dominican Red Mountain Boa. Um, can you kind of talk about them for a little bit, kind of tell us, you know, where they're from and what type of environment they normally hang out in the wild? Yeah, they're, uh, they can be found anywhere from, from the, the low mount, well, I won't call them mountains, but, uh, the ranges, uh, on the, the Dominican side, mm-hmm. um, All the way down to to the uh, to the smaller cities, and uh, Reynolds has done some some uh, some research there. And it doesn't seem that they're they're really confined to the the one mountain. Uh, now it's possible that those boas that started this craze came from a mm-hmm. mountain, um, but 
uh, he said that uh, after doing some some extensive research, uh, that they seem to be pretty prevalent uh, in different phases or looks uh, throughout Dominica. And I doubt, okay. you know, when you look at Hispaniola, I mean, you can tell where Haiti's cut down all the trees, and that's right where the border's at. You know, it's like Dominicans uh, forested, and everything on Haiti's been cut down, burned, and, and never replanted. <clears throat> so there's very little left there. Um, but Bob, Bob started this, and uh, obviously he kept the best back for mm-hmm. himself. So, uh, and he has some phenomenal uh, stock. Uh, and so does Tom, which uh, came from Bob. So it's kind of odd, though. Okay, and where, does the, the, uh, where does the Polish zoo stuff fit into that picture? The what? Yeah. The, I'm sorry. The animals, I, I think that, I'm not sure if it, so Bob's came right. They Were they coming from Bronx Zoo, something like that? Um, and then there were those animals that I think at least some of the ones Tom had, right, were imported from some zoo in, zoo in Poland. Yeah, it, if if uh, there are old pictures from the '90s of red striatus, so it's I mean this isn't a new a new thing. These they've been around overseas for a while. Um, and Tom, I think Tom brought in a an entire litter that were crazy red, so. Uh, it's it's. I didn't know that his animal, that Bob's came from the zoo, the Bronx Zoo. Um, yeah, that was my understanding from the, you know, because the the end of the Stolen World book, they start discussing the those and how they when Tom went down there to check them out, you know, went down to uh, went down there to check them out, and as part of that, they were talking about how he had met Bob at Daytona and Bob said, oh, I have that snake on your banner and he didn't believe him. And that, that whole bit. And then so Bob did indeed have him as he talked about. And he, I think it was Bronx that, you know, produced litters and he would get kind of choices animal or two. And over the course of, you know, literally a decade plus. um, And then kind of this, Simultaneously, they discovered that a zoo in Poland had uh, similar animals, and so at least some of that stuff that then we saw to be part of Tom's group, accepting what came from Bob, was imported there. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I I, I didn't know that either. So, and I should know that I have some. So um, (laughs) there's. Uh, I have them, but I'm I'm really tired of cleaning up after them. So thank you. I mean, it's like you know. First off, mm. if you out of all your boas, are these like up there with the messiest, or is there are there some that are worse that I should know I should avoid? Yeah, doom rolls. Damn it! All right, I like doom rolls. All right, <laughs> <laughs> they're just as bad. Well, they're they're done yeah. now. They're off the list. So, yeah, and how big would you say a Dominican 
should be because I have seen pictures ranging from, you know, rainbow boa size to like the largest red tail you could ever think of for these guys. What is the normal healthy size for a Dominican? Well, um, striatus can get pretty darn large an old female, you know, eight foot. Yeah. They can, uh, they can, they can can get around eight foot and, and pound a large rat. So, or an extra large rat. It's amazing that they start out. Yeah. Well, no, we're talking, that's an old animal. You know, Mm -hmm. even at five or six years old, they won't be anywhere near that big. It might be around five foot. I mean, yeah. They really hit the the growing spurt slows down around the six year mark and then uh then they just live in crap forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and musk and just yeah. All that yeah. fun stuff. Um yeah. so with basic care of the species, like how would you set them up? So, I mean um, uh, granted, the babies are probably set up like every other baby boa and python in a rack system, but how would you go about setting up the adults? Is floor space important to them, perching? Uh, they need they need hide boxes. Um, okay. Something that they can just crawl into and, and uh, with that light. Um, they're very active though when when they do come out. I I personally I think four four foot should be the minimum for something like that okay. as an adult. Um, and uh, with two hide boxes, I use I use newspaper only because they're such prolific crappers. That, mm-hmm. uh, um, and I have found that if it's only pee, I leave it. Because if you take that out, they're going to mark the clean paper. Do it again. Yep. Yep. So uh, fresh water, take the, the soiled stuff out. But if they just pee a little bit, leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> You're wasting your time. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one now. It's like, you know, oh, you yeah. just peed a little bit, forget you. I'll see you later. And, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's worse. Um do you uh, what what about uh, temperatures for these guys? Um, have you do you give them kind of a range? Um, do you have a drop down for when it's breeding season? Um, I the way I set um, all the West Indian stuff up, uh, it has uh, an eighty three. The temp the temp mm-hmm. the daytime high is eighty three, um, and it, there's a six to eight degree drop. Um, and that's year round. So, uh, and I'm using I'm, I'm using um, herb stats, so this will make sense. Um, and as I lower the daytime high, I don't have to worry about that that nighttime changing the nighttime low because that adjusts automatically. And uh, around October, I start dropping it, and then around. February, I start bumping it back up. Okay. Um, and, uh, little misting here and there doesn't hurt, but never, ever 
missed uh, striatus directly. I mean, they will bolt. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Run away. Something about water hitting them, and they just freak. Um, so, you know, wet the walls, wet the ceiling. Uh, just don't wet them. Do <laughs> <laughs> um, you do any light cycling either? Sorry, Alan. No, no, I, I, I just had one last quick question. It was uh, this past year, um, my female actually had a miscarriage of a litter which that's gross all in its own thing. But um, how would you, like, when is their prime breeding season? And what do you do to kind of prep your girls for a breeding season? Uh, I, I, I breed females every other year. Okay. Um, I'm sure there are guys breeding every year and they, you know, stuff them full of rats, you know, as soon as they, drop but uh uh january through march seems to be uh at least at my location in tennessee uh seems to be the breeding season okay um so like i said i start dropping the temp around the end of october and i raise it i start raising it back up about mid end of end of January, mid-February. Uh, sometimes I don't have to. The weather warms up. Uh, you just never know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Make, that's, makes sense. Most everything is on that schedule. I use 12-hour uh, uh, photo site, uh, photo period. Uh And Very I use, cool. Uh, twelve hours uh, heat on, twelve hours heat off. Uh, and that's really all year round. You're doing that with the light. Yeah. You there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's all year round. Do you maintain that twelve twelve light cycle? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It really, it really doesn't change, you know, at the equator. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like one of those things, you know, with some of this, where even though it's it's not a question of mimicking what they actually have going on, it's just trying to push triggers. You know what I mean? Where it's like it won't even be yeah. what they experience. But you're kind of you're just tightening the experience, so to speak, to try and hit as many of the the factors as you can to, to convince them to give you a shot. Well, that's that's all you can do, you know. And it seems to be a lot easier uh, if you're working with captive bred stuff uh, than uh, the wild caught stuff. There, at that point, I think there are too many variables uh, that you have to try and play with. Yeah, just a. The question is how adaptable they are to to your conditions, and I think it's even more so, right? If they were born in your room, those are the ones most likely to do well for you, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I've had animals not feed very well, um, and I send them out 
uh, say two or three animals out of the litter. They just they don't like where they're at. Um, and I send them out to Arizona, and they start feeding the day they arrive. So um, <laughs> you can't make everybody happy. <laughs> right? No, that's certainly true. Um, wanted to hit on some more of the some more of the species that you're working with. Um, I, I think I heard right when you first started uh, when telling us what you had that uh, you said you have 30 inornatas, and that totally blew me away. Ho- hopefully, some of those are are the neos from last year and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I have eight or nine adults. Um, you know that I've grown up, and then uh, some 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 were gifted to me, um, but. Uh, I think between my buddy and I, we've I think we both had five or six litters each. So uh, since we started playing with them, and I, I've kept most of that stuff back. Um, I have sent uh, uh, I sent Tom two litters, my very first two, uh, and he worked with them, and he sent a few of them back to me, and then you know, gifted most of that stuff out. Right, I was going to say, I mean, that's obviously the issue with both those and the uh, Jamaicans is, you know, my it's a long game with me doing the Facebook messages. I'm trying to lay the 10-year groundwork so in 10 years you'll give me some inornados. That'd be great. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, unfortunately, it's the only way. Uh, right, for sure. You no, know, I don't even sell them in state. I mean, it's there's too many things that can go wrong. You know, I sell them to a guy. He moves to Alabama, sells them to somebody, and they end up in Washington State, and then they're traced back to me, you know. Right. So if I give them away, uh, and I'm very picky about who I gift stuff to, um, and they sign an an agreement with me that, you know, these are a gift. You can't sell these, however many animals I gift you, um, you cannot do away with. If you get tired of them, they come back to me. Or sure. I tell you to ship them to somebody else. But any offspring you produce, they're yours to do with as you wish. You know. Um, right, if you want to just, take on that risk for yourself. But at least it's clearly distinguished at that point. Yeah, yeah. that makes and sense. It protects the giftee and the gifter. Uh, you know, it states there's no exchange of money. This is a gift, no trade. Uh, just like the law, the law allows. You know. Sure. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. So it's just a just a function of you know, and I suppose in many ways, right? It's really useful because you're finding them homes for amongst people that are really and truly very interested in them. Yeah, um, and not everybody is. I get a lot of yeah. I'd like to have some of those. Yeah. So you know, I'd have, like to have a lot of other stuff, but you know, I don't see people giving them to me, so. <laughs> sure, sure. What, uh, for that pie in the sky day, a decade from now, what, uh, how are you keeping the inornatus from, from the, the neos up to those, you know, your long-standing adults? I'd imagine those are a really long-lived, uh, species. Yeah, um, uh, the, all of the newborns go into an RBI rack. I'm not promoting RBIs, just 
I just happen to sure. have a bunch of those racks. Um, they all get uh, aspen, shredded aspen. Um, the Chrysogaster and the uh, Internatus will are burrowers. Um, you can you can put paper towel tubes in there. They will not use them. They'll hide under them. They'll burrow in the aspen. Uh, all the other boas will will use the hide tubes, or if you put little small boxes in there with a hole cut, they'll use those. Um, and I keep them in there for about 18 months and then uh, move them to a larger rack that uh, I'm having I'm having four racks built now I'm running out of room so uh, <laughs> very good and then I I keep the the big big Jamaicans in six foot visions um, they need that they need there's no way to get in there and clean uh, clean an adult Jamaican in a four-foot cage without getting killed. So, <clears throat> Right. And the, the Puerto Ricans are the same? same uh, the they, no, they, uh, even some of my older ones at about six foot, they do fine in a four-foot cage for now. Okay. Uh, as long as they have a hide box on both ends. I only get to clean half a cage at a time. Um, <laughs> I clean where the snake isn't, and right. then I pull out. I pull the hide box out of where it is, wait for it to go to the hide box on the clean end, and then I clean the other half of the cage. Um, I, that's it's double work, but it's the only way I can get it done without getting nailed. Right, just just a high stress species, right? Yeah, they really are. I mean, even the babies. Um, when you when you pull that tub out, the babies come out with their mouth open and start swinging their head left to right, like they're in a cage, you know, trying to latch onto anything that uh, hits their face. It's just ingrained, uh, and uh, even as babies, to uh, come out and just start swinging their head. <laughs> And so are they, from the sounds of it, the Inornatas seem very uh, terrestrial, which is interesting, right? Because they, they'll live in, in caves, right, in their, um, in Puerto Rico and eat some bats and, and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, yeah, but, you know, I'm imagining, I have I have kept adults in, in Aspen and even the adults burrow. Hmm. So... Well, I'm, I mean, I'm willing works, to bet right? they're not yeah. as rare. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to bet that they're not as rare as uh, as folks think they are in the wild. Yeah. Well, and it probably you know fits in. Unfortunately, a lot of this West Indian stuff, they got to make themselves. You know, they're not. It's not a question of being found to be exported, but they got to make themselves scarce because you have a lot of local extirpations, either from fear or associated with habitat loss. Those sorts of things, right? Yeah. yeah. Big, big challenge, you know, and it makes it even that much more disappointing and sad that we don't get the chance to, well, you, I should say, don't get the chance to work with them here, you know, if they're facing habitat loss and getting their head chopped off in their native habitat. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's just 
it's one of those things where you, you keep hoping that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife and uh, the powers uh, to be would would see that uh, you know turning turning the islands into a parking lot without taking some of those animals off those islands uh, is just a sure recipe for extinction. And it's it's sad. Yeah, I mean it, it really is. You know, it's you view it the same way I do, and it's it's just terribly disappointing. You know, um, and you know, add in the the global warming stuff, and you know, rising sea levels, and it that that's just yet you know yet another complication, right? You know, so yeah, introduce um, predators, that kind of thing. Sure, you know, I mean it's very frustrating. Um, I did uh, want to hit on the the rest of the formerly Epicrates that you have, the, the Ford eye, Foster eye, Fowler eye, and then a little more subclavus action. Um, what, uh, in terms of those first three, the Ford eye, the Foster eye, and the Fowler eye, what, uh, what's your, what can you tell us about them? What, what makes each unique, and are, do you have a favorite of the group, or do you like each one for a particular reason? Uh, well, when uh, before Reynolds uh, made that slight re- reclassification, you had the uh, striatus phalari, striatus uh, phosphori, and striatus frigolatus. Um, and he elevated, and they're all part of the the Grand uh, Bahamas, uh, Eleuthera. Long Island, and then Bimini, and then uh, Barry. Well, they're they're sufficiently uh, related that he moved uh, Fosteri and Falari, the Barry and Bimini, under Strigolatus. So it's now uh, Strigolatus Fosteri and Strigolatus. Um, Falari. That's interesting. And they haven't finished the rest of the... There were a couple of species that were of unknown origin, so they, they couldn't actually do the testing. Um, I could be getting the subspecies wrong, but I think it was like Macranei and uh, Aileris, uh and then a couple of the others I think they allowed to stay in the striatus uh, Group until they could do some more testing, um, but basically the three uh, are all somehow related uh, or closely related, more so than the rest of the group. So uh, bimini's have always been much more popular than berries, just because of their appearance, uh, and it's been that way since the eighties. But the strigs, um, you know, they've only recently come on the scene uh, in this in these numbers here in the last, you know, ten years. Uh, and you know, giving them full species status, uh, it might help, you know, to make them more popular. But, uh, it would be hard. You would be hard pressed to. 
you just lay one out in front of you and pick it out unless you have all three side by side. Um, it's uh, some of the very, very similar uh, in appearance. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, I, I've never had any of these. I've seen a few of them, you know, up close and personal, but not uh, not to the extent where I feel real comfortable, you know, picking them out, defining them. But it's, it's clear there is a, a basis for doing that, you know, and for seeing seeing what's what, so to speak. Um, do you, of those three... Well, uh, Brad, Brad, has, Brad has some known locale... Um, I think his are Andros Island boas. So he has some known hmm. locale berries. Um, and then the other berries are just the ones, are the relic animals that have been here, you know, since before the importing stopped. Right. Uh, a lot of the biminis have, uh, have died off. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, in Arizona, had a trio, and his gravid female rolled on him. Uh, but he has he has two imported males from uh, is it the shed? Is that the bell? Cavanaugh, McCavney. Uh, uh, I'm butchering the guy's name. But anyway, he <laughs> he bought these as imports from him in Florida. And uh, so we've got, my buddy and I have a female out at his location. Hopefully we'll have a litter this year. Fingers crossed. Um, and so, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, it'll be the first litter of Bimini's in quite a few years, so. Uh, Very good. Did, get um, this parcel out. Right. I mean, that's part of this, right, is that just if we're talking a litter at a time, unless they're, really good size, you more or less have to hold on to all of them. I see why you're running the Tanzania as the, the moneymaker to, to pay for the rest of these projects, because you just have to keep all of them, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of it, you know, I among the three of us, we give each other stuff only because, you know, it, it, that's what friends do, and then a few animals uh, to somebody that wants to work with them. Um, but sure. basically keep keep back what you need to uh, or put it out on loan. Uh, it's still yours. It's just in somebody else's care, you know. Right. Yeah, just to keep some – keep tabs on them. It's not it's yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're not so, relinquishing sure. control or ownership anyway. For sure. Um, and what about the the Ford eye? What uh, where do they fit in the picture, and what what uh, what do you make of them? What what do you like about them? Beyond being uh, beautiful and, and relatively variable, uh, they're probably the perfect tabletop boa. Um, you know, they're small. Uh, they take forever to get even four foot, uh, if that. Uh, they're just a real pain to get going. Um, <laughs> it's not that they won't eat. It's getting in always that small. <laughs> so, oh, really? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they're self-starters. They'll, they'll feed, but 
it'll be a, at least a year before they're even big enough to attempt eating an extra small pinky. So, <clears throat> <laughs> wow, that is yeah. tiny. Yeah, again, sure. it's, I mean, it's the challenge kind of thing. But uh, um, I hope <laughs> I'm hoping I have about four litters this year. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lay off breeding them. <laughs> I'm breeding some of the stuff that I produced uh, four or five and six years ago. So, right. So the demand is back up there for now. You kind of produce them and then let them filter out. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, challenge kind of thing. Uh, for sure, for sure. Does the um, I think the last one of these bows is one of the the as I say, the former uh, epicrates we wanted to hit on was just to go back to the subclavus a bit and see kind of what lineages there are and of those, what, what you're working with, um, and whether they're as bad as the bad or worse than the Timor pythons and the Dominican Red Mountain boas in terms of just the, uh. when you touch them, they, you, they're just, you know, next thing you know, you're going to have fluids all over the place and it's just, a really stressed, a high stress situation. Yeah, um, they're they're like Puerto Ricans. Um, Dino, the uh, XSSP manager, uh, worked with him uh, on the island, and uh, he said it was a crapshoot. You could you could pick one up and get mangled, and you, or you could pick one up and it would be docile. Uh, <coughs> I I just wish I got the docile gene, but I don't. <laughs> Even the ones that I'm trying to handle, that I produce, or are gifted to me as babies, uh, they just remain skittish. It's uh, I handle them enough to uh, once they learn, I guess your smell, uh, then they. They're not as defensive, although they are really skittish. Uh, you can't yeah. move quickly Yeah, that does remind me of the, the Timors. I got mm-hmm. a pair of very small Timors um, back before I'd gone to college. And so we're talking maybe three, four months old. And I didn't have all the, the collection was pretty small, maybe 20, 25 animals. So I literally held them every day. And after three, three to four months or so, they stopped just, you know, defecating all over me. And then that the remaining, you know, eight, eight, nine months that I had them before I went to school, they were totally fine, totally relaxed, no problems at all. Just took handling them literally every day. But then I uh, went to school, couldn't take them, couldn't take them with me, came back a year later to pick them up. And, you know, they hadn't been touched during that time. And they were right back where they started for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the adults that I have, um, uh, all this stuff is gifted. I mean, um, it's taken me years of just kind of basically badgering people. Uh, right. So. Well, I show them that you're really serious about what you're doing. I mean, that's, that's the big part of this, too, right? It's just it's very clear. Okay, give them, you know, I'm open to giving Jeff something because I know – He's, you know, really genuinely interested and is going to take this super seriously and give it the best 
Because Karen is just a straight up honest person. You know, if there's a, an issue, he'll let me know. That's well, that's, that's yeah, and, that, and that's why I I gift this. You know, I gift it away because you know so folks are kind enough to do that for me. Um, and I'm talking about people that aren't even friends. Uh, uh, some of it's not mine. Some of it's just here on loan. Uh, and it, it could be called back at any time. But, uh, you know, the idea is that if they're known to be unrelated, those are the ones you breed. Uh, that's why when I give, I give stuff away, it's, I normally just give gift one. Uh, there's no point in giving you two animals that you're going to breed back to each other. Uh, and there are enough out there that you should be able to come up with another animal on your own. Or I can I can point you to somebody uh, that might be willing to gift you a, an unrelated animal. Right. And is the... So I, I guess so that's the subflavus. Does the same apply with the inornatus, or is the gene pool we're working with not wide enough to allow for that? Uh, I don't think there are enough inornatus out there. Um, I, I guess whatever has been sold um, out of Florida, uh, but I, I don't know who owns that stuff. Right. All I really know is all I really know is the stuff that I've gifted out. Um, now, in, in those cases, I normally send two because I don't sex them, and I can always I can always make it right down the road if I have to uh, sure. by providing the missing sex. But I just I mean, what what in the hell am I going to do with forty you know forty two hours? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure. You know, it's, they're, they're no. amazing snakes. You know, very cool, and I'm glad there's. It seems like it's, you know, there's a handful of people, but you're right there at the very top of that. You know, handful of people that are they're doing them, or they wouldn't be here at all. So I think it's great. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have to, I have to give a shout out to Crutchfield because he's given me stuff over the years. Uh, Uh, I remember buying my first my first Cubans from him in I think '89, uh, and uh, that was my downfall. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's where it started. Those are, those are certainly yeah. a, a heck of a snake. You don't have any of those right now, do you? Um, no, I always get them and then grow <laughs> them up and realize. Why did you buy these? Yeah. I mean, I need eight feet of cage space. Um, and, I, and I always get something that uh, I want more at the time. Uh, so I end up selling them. I think I had nine here at one point. Uh, oh, my goodness. Wow. That's a lot of mouths full of teeth that are coming for you, <laughs> coming for anything. They can, uh, they can be pretty tame. Really? Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, they can be real nasty as babies, but uh, I mean, a lot of babies are like that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, once they came came down, they're they're just big teddy bears. They're certainly impressive snakes, either way. Yeah. Awesome. Well, 
Um, I guess we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to talk a bit, little bit about uh, Corrales and some of the tree bows okay. that you work with. Um, we did get an email question in, and it came from uh, Shane uh, Shane Adamson, and uh, he's he's got a, a couple of questions here, so uh, I'll kind of hit them off one by one. Um, he wanted to know if you could explain uh, the scale count and how they're used to identify uh, Hortolanus, Annulatus, Cook Eye, and Russian Burger Eye. Oh. I haven't I haven't done that. I Okay. Um in probably twenty five Um I mean the the difference between the annulatus um for the most part uh unless Pretty obvious. Um, okay. It's just I, I don't see how you could make that. Uh, maybe mixing synchreous. Uh, and the Horchelanus all kind of look. And in that case, you may want to do get a shed and do a scale count. Um, okay. But uh, some of those species, uh, I don't, uh, to scale count. Okay. I just, uh, I really personally, I, just don't I don't see a need for it. okay um what about uh yeah I, I think I think I don't know if you're breaking up or I think you're breaking up a little bit but um he's also um most interested in hearing your approach to uh or thoughts on breeding uh equatorial species uh thanks 12-hour photo periods and 12-hour and, uh, uh, heat. Okay. Oh. Depending on the species, uh, the pretty lax to pretty, pretty demand. Um, the annulatus, it's not really a big deal, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't been for any of the ones. Uh, if it gets up to 30, they're lucky. It's okay. Stringent when it comes to uh, humidity, regardless of whether... Uh, I think, I think he's uh, stale. 
I don't know if your connection is shoddy, but you keep going in and out. Yeah, yeah my... we're getting like we're getting every other word here. Yeah. Huh. It's yeah. my great mobile connection. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thank you, you cellular company. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we got yeah. you. Okay. Yep. Well, well, there it goes again. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yep. All right, we, we can, can hear you now. now. Okay. So, okay, well, it's... Hey, should we have him try calling back in before we hit the end of the two hour deal? Yeah. So we lose yeah, let's yeah, do that. Yeah. Call Good back job, in. Bob. Yeah, just yeah. call right back in. Yep. <laughs> okay. This is why we have Rob on the show. He's the one who tells us what to do. So. <laughs> Good job, Rob. <laughs> Good job, Rob. Once again, proving that eventually Rob will replace Owen as co-host <laughs> when Eric, when it, once Eric wises up, I mean that's Jesus. So. Owen, oh, I don't think you have to worry about that ever happening. I think you're Damn totally it. in the event. Everyone Damn loves it. you, and that is what do I have to do? Don't worry about What do I have to do to get fired? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, yay! I don't know what you can do, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Are you back, Jeff? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Got you. Oh, there All we right, go. we got you now. Good, good. <laughs> uh, okay. We got some bad weather out there. So. Um. <laughs> um. Okay. So, when it comes to uh, Corallis, are you using UV? Do you use UV for them? Um. No, I don't. I use uh, just uh, the uh, four-foot shop lights. Okay. I guess the commercial, the uh, commercial yep. lines that you get at uh, Lowe's or mm-hmm. the only thing I use uh, he's the only one that uh, I make sure gets you the the rest of them they seem to do fine without it. Okay. All right, um, and then let's see. The last question he had was, uh, "Do you keep your aminals together uh, for breeding, um, or do, or does he house multiple animals year round?" No, I keep everything single. Um, and, um, I may stick two males in there, uh, or just. Re- So, I think we're uh, every other word again. Uh-oh. Eric? Is that what you're getting? Getting out again? Yeah. Uh, no, no, you. Yeah, you can hear you now, and then you start kind of rolling, and then it's every other word. So, huh. yeah, that or either you're having really long explanations. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I guess. Oh, do you want to move to the Russian Burger Eye? Yeah, I go ahead, can. Ellen. All right, so let's go to the Russian Burger Eye, because thank you, Rob, for explaining me how to say that word. Um, so, uh, is there a difference between 
the Venezuelan and the Trinidad localities when it comes to the Russian burger eye? The uh, the Trinidads generally are are uh, the largest of the species. Okay. And uh, the Trinidad, by and large, tends to be a unicolor animal, like a okay, a gold or a. They can look like the Costa Rican, uh, occasionally. And the Tobagos tend to be even bigger than that. I've only, uh, and I did speak with a guy that uh, he said they're just uh, for an island. Uh, probably the prettiest are the uh, the uh, the being probably. I'm still only getting like parts of you there, so it's still fading out. Yeah, well, it's one of those like you you're mid sentence and it's like, well, the prettiest ones are, and then it's like blank, and it's like ah, so it's like you're we hear you and then it cuts off. So I don't know if Eric's working on something which he should be doing. So, yeah, um, I'm trying. <laughs> God, I, I, it's one of those things where it's like I hope he's doing it behind the scenes right now. Um, yeah, but. I guess we'll go. I know you said that the the uh, Tobagos were larger than the Trinidad's, even so they're the yeah, largest out of all. Yeah, they're uh, the animals I had took uh, large uh, large rats on the large size. Um, Jesus, they were in their late twenties. Um, they uh, import as adults. And mm-hmm. just, I mean, unbelievable animals. Just incredible. Uh, kind of have to really see to believe. <clears throat> awesome. So, what localities are you working with right now? From mine and then. Uh, uh, two from uh, uh, Mutton brought those in. Wow, it's been quite a few quite a few years now, um, and he he kept some fun. So, and it's one of those like, yeah, I don't know what the technical difficulties are. Wonderful, kicking our butt right now, but um, well, we've got we, a bad probably. Probably somewhere is a bad connection. Um, why don't we have you call back in one more time? I don't know if you've got uh, another phone you can kind of grab or a uh, headset yeah, or something like, like grab that. The you can on. Yeah, if you can, just do that. We'll see if that one works a little bit better. So we can yeah. try to Her number is uh, 9285. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yep. Man, guys, this is super frustrating. Yeah, I blame Rob. I I, I blame Rob. It's all <laughs> Rob's about fault. right, you know. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? No, I'm gonna kick the blame off, Rob. It's all Eric's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And we don't blame guests or uh, co-hosts that come in when we need them. Let's just go straight to the source. This is Eric's fault. <laughs> yeah, it's Eric. like... Uh, um, <laughs> when you're super interested, right, man? You know, you yeah. really want to hear oh. what they... There we and, go. And it was, it was Hello? one of those, like... Yeah. Yeah, All right, we, we got you, Jeff. <laughs> Did you hear hell or oh? Oh, you heard all of it. We <laughs> heard it all. <laughs> it's a miracle. We heard the entire word. All awesome. Right. So, maybe, let's go, maybe back. go back a bit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we're going to go right back to the Russian bird ride. Okay. The, loca- the localities that you're working with. What are you working okay. with? I'm working with... Uh, some some Venezuelan that I had, and then uh, okay. Martin brought in some from the UK from Gaz Mortimer, and uh, okay. I got I had some of those, and and uh, uh, Nick held on to a, uh, a small group of his own, so I, I managed to get one litter out of those, a uh, tiny one, uh, two of one I stuck in the freezer right off the bat. I sent three so, to a buddy. And uh, one passed. He's got two of them doing really well down in Florida. And I'm hoping I've got a gravid one uh, right now. So see what happens. Very cool. And it says right here that I'm supposed to bring up your one male Venezuelan that has some incredible color. Can you kind of talk about him for a little bit? Uh, I had a a gold patternless Venezuelan. It actually looked like uh, either a Trinidad or uh, Tobago, um, but that, along with one of the uh, its sibling, uh, mm-hmm. passed at about the two-year mark. Uh, oh, so that sucks. Yeah, very cool. Now you did say that uh, with all the different localities you said that the trinidads were the ones that were mainly all one solid color by and large um by they and can, large? Okay. yeah they can look sort of like the uh the green and off yellow uh costa ricans or the panamanian versions um but by and large they tend to be unicolor like an olive drab or uh People think that's ugly, but uh, I don't know. I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I uh, like the olive drab. It's like olive pythons. Olive, yeah. Big Actually, it's uh, snake. very, very similar in color. Um, very cool. and it may have a very light pattern underneath, um, mm-hmm. but you don't even notice it most of the time. But they're just monstrous animals. Seven, seven that's... foot easy. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I had them in one of those, what they, uh, the Vision Vivariums, like 84 inches <laughs> across. Uh, right. And that's what they needed. They needed that much room. Wow. <clears throat> that's a big animal. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and how, how large do those get, just on average, which, I guess, across the across the board? So starting with the Costa yeah. Rican... Um, all the way to the Tobago animals. Because they're, they're uh, relatively well, big for the Corrales group, right? Yeah. They, uh, 
the Ruschenberger I uh, tend to be larger than the Horchelanus, uh and of the of the Rushis, uh the Tobago, uh, according to the guy that I spoke to, uh, who actually brought one back, um, said that the Tobagos were even larger than the uh, Trinidads, uh, which which can be seven feet easy as old adults. Yeah, and they can pound a large rat on the large size. Yeah. Wow. So. Very cool. Um, and then to hit back on the annulatus some more, they're really they're one of, besides the uh, besides the internatus and the chrysogaster and everything else you have. They're one of my one of my absolute favorites. That I just want to talk about a little bit more. Um, can you refresh how many? So last year you had what five healthy uh, colored babies? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And you just held on to all of them. I mean, I don't know how you part with the darn things because they're so cute. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I kept three here and sent uh, two uh, to a buddy that, that has I think six, six or seven of mine, uh, six of which are adults now, and I think two of those are colored. One unsexed one is was a colored. And then the two the two orange babies. Um, uh, like I said, I the loss of the of the the other three colored and the two black um, was on me. I just I assumed that it was so late in the season that she wasn't gravid. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the real the real hero for uh, annulatus is. Paul Bradshaw, the guy that's been breeding those forever. Um, and some of my animals came from him and uh, the folks the folks that have annulatus now, a lot of their bloodlines came from him. Uh, yeah, I've heard the just, name, but I, you know, I, I certainly have never met him. What, uh, is he still keeping, keeping them now? No, um, uh, health problems uh, forced him to Sell sell off his collection, uh, and actually, I, I honestly don't know if he's still alive at this point. Um, it's been a while okay. since I, I tried to contact Paul, um, but he just—I don't know—he had uh, he had a special understanding of these things. I mean, every other year he he had babies available, you know, for guys like us. Right. And, uh, yeah. And they are an every other year breeder, right? I mean, more or less, yeah. all this boba stuff is. Yeah, yeah. They uh, yeah. they don't put that weight on uh, as quickly as as a lot of the other stuff. Sure. They make uh, sure. crappy display animals. Um, that is <laughs> that is that is a downside to Anyatis. Is uh, uh, you will never ever see them. Um, <laughs> Right, they don't mind hiding under the paper or getting up under something, right? They're, they're, they're yeah, not a, or the, a you know, the hide box. Yeah. They will they will crap and piss in the hide box and then lay in it. So, <laughs> no, um, nice. That's yeah. good. So at least every other day you've got to go through each of them and uh, and uh, pull them out, clean your box, put it back. 
Oh, the only right. time they ever come out is when they're hungry, and that's mm-hmm. depending on what size prey item you give them. That could be once a week, once every three weeks. Right, I was going to say they're they're the sort of thing that you definitely want to be feeding small stuff too, right? You don't want to be giving them a big meal that's in their gut. Yeah, I'm a uh, like I said, I'm a I'm a big fan of small and often, and. Uh, they just they tend to come out more often looking for that meal. Um, I try and have at least one or two rats always thawed out in the evening, but if nobody comes out, I just feed those rats to somebody else. Sure. But, uh, they're, they're unpredictable about, you know, when they want to eat. And their shed cycle seems to be a little longer than... Uh, the rest of them, uh, they may not eat for a month, you know, when they go into right. shed. So. Huh, that's really interesting. I saw on your Facebook page from uh, when you produced them in 2014 that the female was eating the unfertilized ova, and that's certainly a common thing we've seen, but it was pretty cool that you got a picture of it. That's awesome. Yeah, she ate every one of them. Um, I counted 14, but she had... She was already eating them when I came downstairs, so I have no idea how many there originally were. Um, and I've had I've had others do the same thing. I just never never got a photo of them. But sure. There's no mistaking that smell when you when you walk by. Uh-huh. You go, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you can tell that you know you hope there are babies in there, and then there's nothing because. Uh, it was all slugs, and she ate them during the night. You know, so. right? And, yeah, for sure. And they'll eat, sometimes eat the stillborns as well, right? I'm sorry. Occasionally, they'll eat stillborns as well, right? Um, I haven't caught them doing that, but I mean, uh, all the other animals do that. I don't see why they wouldn't. Uh, why they'd be any different. I mean, I've seen the Puerto Ricans and the striatus do that. You know, they nudge yeah. it, and then if it doesn't move, it's breakfast. Oh, yeah, God. Huh. You said wow. um, that you had put some together for this year, but you you didn't really, not not with super serious intent. So you're no. Not, uh, I, I just uh, I took the the colored male and. Uh, Put him in with my largest brown female, uh, just to see if uh, if she would take. Because she didn't go last year, I thought, well, you know, she could go this year. Uh, but I really didn't cool them down like I should have. Uh, it's almost like once I drop the heat and he gets into the uh, the daytime highs around 78 or 79 and it drops into the high 60s, you never see them. They just stay hidden. Right. Uh, they uh, they don't drink. They don't do anything. They just stay in the hide box or under the paper. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, it looks like there was another question here from Shane. He's asking about, uh, he had heard there was a true cook well, uh, at uh, the Nashville Zoo, and he was wondering if being semi-local to you, if you would Heard of that, or you could confirm that? Yeah, I had talked to uh, the curator, um, 
they had two animals in there, and one did look like a cook eye, but that was wow, that was years ago. And uh, so, and I think last year I sent him an email. Uh, I had found somebody willing to do the the DNA work on it gratis. Uh, so I sent him an email, but he said that the suspected cook eye was no longer in the collection. So uh, I take that for what it's worth. I mean, it was an old animal that came in, and I think he said in 93 or 94, uh, through Glades or someplace like that. Sure. So it, it could have just passed away. Okay. But he did say it was no longer in the collection. Hmm. And that's, I mean, that's, he's right. It's kind of one of those, for years, was commonly mislabeled, but in fact, probably isn't here in the U.S., right? Is that is that your impression as well? Uh, I haven't seen Cook Eye in, you know, basically since the last time they got imported. Um, right, yeah. Saw the babies for sale, like in the back of Reptile Amphibian Magazine <laughs> in the 90s. Oh, wow. You know, and uh, anole eaters. Yeah, right. I imagine they didn't sell very well. <laughs> Flying off the shelves for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and then with those for so long, there was the, you know, people were calling the garden Amazon. You know, garden Amazon's. Oh, those are cooks. You know, eighteen dollar cooks. No, that's not what those are. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was sort of the pet shop misnomer. You know. Uh, anything that was a tree boa was a cook's boa, especially the garden phase. They were all called cook's boas <laughs> for some reason. Weird. <laughs> I would uh, I would recommend that uh, for folks that are that have a serious interest in Corallus uh, to pick up uh, Bob Henderson's new book. Uh, he covers all the species to include uh, a little section on Cropani. Right, that was going to be the we Owen Owen and Eric always yeah. ask people about the the species that they you know most want to have or if they could have anything with no regard to law or uh, legalities or money or any of these things. And I was going to proffer that your white whale might be Cropani. Uh, believe it or not, it wouldn't be. Uh, really? I would. Okay. I'd like to get my hands on uh, uh, Monensis or Garanti. Sure. Okay. The, tre- those, the those tree Other possible. Yeah. yeah. There's still tree boas, though. So. Yeah. Sure. I'll give you two points. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, let me talk about, what is it, Candoya uh, Broni? Or I'm butchering that one, probably. Um. The Australis. There you go, Australis, whatever the hell Rob just said. So, yeah. Um, you uh, you have a new group that you got in March or something like that? <laughs> we lost them. Ah, oh, Eric. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. This isn't even and a right thing in Australia. Two hours. I know. Yeah, we're over the two-hour mark. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there was a lot of great stuff too. there, though, man. That, that was good. Yeah. There was a lot, was a lot that, there. Well, 
and we had to bring him back because we only hit about like half of the stuff that we have because there's a lot of stuff here too still. Yeah. I just did buy that book though. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Yeah. This is why you have to uh, I think it was, I saw I just saw it on Amazon for forty bucks. Well, that's not bad at all. I'll have to did, I'll have to follow your lead there. Eric. <laughs> did you let him? Did you let him know that he's not going to be able to call back in and all that fun stuff? I'm I'm doing it now. Okay, so you do that. I'll you, talk to Rob. You two talk yeah. while I do that. All right. All right. So Rob. What? <laughs> Since you mentioned them like four times this this episode, what do you think about me getting Timors? Well, so I mean, they're interesting. I feel the same way that Nick feels and that Ryan feels, and that I'm sure everyone else who's had the damn thing feels about them, which is just looking at them. They're probably my favorite Python. I mean, their head okay. with the intricate scalation. Yeah. And the, they have yeah. a velvety feel. Like, they just have a soft feel to them. And they're not a particularly strong python either. I mean, they they obviously have a good amount of muscle, but they are they have this soft sort of, like, a cashmere velvet feel. To, they're incredible snakes is the point. They're incredible. But, okay. again, they <laughs> I've dealt with them from the hatchling size through to, you know, wild adults that were, um, long-term captive by the time I'm dealing with them, but, I mean, shit, I, one of my first days at the Denver Zoo, I'm cleaning these Timors that were in quarantine just to put them somewhere. I mean, they'd had these things mm-hmm. snakes for 10 years or whatever, wild-caught adults that had been there for 10 years. And especially at the beginning, you know, I'm trying to be super soft, super, I uh, don't want to restrain the snake, so to speak. Next thing I know, the man's crawling, crawling into a heat, yeah, heating vent in the wall, and I'm up to my arm in the wall, holding on to the back half of this thing. And oh my back, God. you know, this, as I said, <laughs> one of the first days, you know, and they say, "Well, you know, I can't congratulate you for this, but I am glad that a you found the the weakness in the system here, and that you found it with <laughs> a non-venomous snake. So I, I guess we'll, you know, we'll say fine." We'll just patch the hole, but you're still kind of an idiot, and we're looking at you <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to call this a, a C minus for the day today. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not your finest hour for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I, I've been there through that. I got those babies, though. After that, after that experience, I got the babies myself. And as they say, man, if you hold the dang things every day, literally – Every day, put in just five, ten minutes a day, and you get them when they're that size, and you do it consistently. They'll do great, man. And they won't shit on you. They, won't. I have never really found them to be biters, but uh, okay. you know they won't shit on you, which is just kind of it's it's just not as bad as a garter snake musk, but it's not great. You okay. know, it's not the best. Um, and you know they they definitely are escape artists. I still. So when I had moved a few years ago, I a buddy of mine who actually works at the works at the zoo now, um, I said, hey, you know, keep a bu-, he had a bunch of my stuff at his house just as I was in between moving places, and I took two pairs of Timors over there that were maybe yearling size, and mm-hmm. sure enough, one of them one of them got out and was on walkabout. I you know three years later the things 
he'll find a shed occasionally. I don't know what the damn thing's eating. And oh, he still my God. And he the subject with his wife. So we'll see how that eventually pans, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's on Walkabout over there three years later. So um, That's kind of funny. Like, I don't know, man. The, the upshot is they're amazing. They look awesome. And some more than others, even, right? There is some variability things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, man, you just have to put in a lot of work. And so it's kind of a question of whether you have the sort of collection where that'll make sense and whether you can get them small enough so that, you know, even if you say, okay, I'm willing to get shit on for, you know, every day for three months in a row, I'll eventually get to the sweet, the sweet spot and I can enjoy it, you know, and, and just continue to do that. So I think they're a great cool. animal. I do think they're a great animal. But I think they're a great animal for someone who has, I don't know. The time. A few dozen, right, the time. A few dozen animals, not probably not what you're working with, um, not what I'm working with, and certainly not what Eric's working with, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, but but also you got to understand it's like it's like this is another one of those, it's, it's almost like it's a white lip. It's like this is another one of those psychotic, very pretty kind of crazy ones, and I'm like, oh, God, this is, now you're talking my language. So, oh, no, the, uh, the, believe me, man, the appeal very strong, oh, incredibly strong. You know, one of these things where, put it this way, look, I've fallen for the siren's call either three or four times. You know, you get them, <laughs> you sell them, you get them, you sell them. You know, where, you know, you get them, and six months, six months to a year later, you sell the thing. I've, I've done it three or four times, man. And even now, Eric's telling me that you're you're looking at him, and so it gets me looking at the, at the King Snake ad, and I'm like, should yeah. I do it? You know, and it's, again, yet again. <laughs> uh, well, I, hey, dude, blame I just, Balin for me because Balin was like, I got all these, and I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is. So once again, Jason Balin is making me spend money on snakes. I mean, I thought those days would be far like like behind us, but god damn it! So well, why don't you wait? Why don't you wait till he breeds them? I don't want to. <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> okay. Cause I mean, I do think back... Eric that's those true captive bred. So I've never had that. You know, okay. I've never. They have Forward Zoo used to used to back when they believed in it wholesale some to Cameron. And I just missed out on getting some back that first year they had. Oh, well, the, you know, the last cool. year they had done it, which would have been like '03, something like that. Um, oh wow! And I think those animals are totally different. So if if Balin breeds them, if Terry breeds them, those are the sorts of man. If you held those things every day, that'd yeah. be phenomenal. Phenomenal. They'd be like carpet. They'd be like carpet pythons by like the time they turn one. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, I, if I ever work with them, that's what I'll hold out for. No, and, you know, captive born and bred. You make a very good point because I have captive born and bred white lips now, and they are ten times better than my wild caughts were. See, like so, I, I think when you're doing those kind of projects where you're doing and you're dealing with either you know, long-term captives or wild caught or anything like that. I think that has to be like, 
you have to really be particular about how many of those projects you're working with because I think it needs a a, a bit more attention, I guess you would say, um, mm-hmm. in order to be successful with it. So if you have like, I don't know, and I could be totally wrong, but I, I, my, I, I guess I'm talking for me. If I had yeah. white lips and team horse and bowlins and how my hair is and all these things that don't breathe, I don't think that I would be able to focus in and, and, and get the job done. Whereas if I just was working right. with a species, I might be more successful. If that makes sense. Cool. And my, my, my opinion when it comes to that is I think I can have more success if I leave them alone. Like, I don't care if my pythons are nasty. They can be. need them to be my friends. I need them to make little Timor pythons. So if I set them up in cages with some bioactive substrate, where I don't need to go in there and poke around every so every day, they would probably, you know, maybe be a little bit more prone to breeding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly, I think that certainly helps. They definitely, yeah. I mean, I think that is a an apt comparison. It's saying when you're seeing Timors and you're talking about, well, what's, what's it like to breed them? I do just think their natural stress hormone levels are probably akin to what we see in a lot of the scrubs, yeah. like what you're seeing in your tannin bars and stuff like that, so that, yep. like, if any little thing goes wrong, it's not going to go right, you know? And so yeah. you can remove variables like setting them up, keeping relatively hands-off as much as you can while still maintaining a good, appropriate environment, maybe keeping them in a situation where they can tell you when they want to breed by having linked cages or cohabiting mm-hmm. them or whatever the situation may be. Um, I think all those things are good ideas, but they're just never – I mean, these. the upshot is these have been bred, and it doesn't make them any more – or at least it hasn't made them the new ball python. Right, they're not being bred True. all over the place just because even amongst folks working with captive bred animals, it's not. They'll never be easy. They may that helps, but they'll never be easy and straightforward because they're just naturally a. They're I think they're smarter and they're certainly more inclined to be stressed. Right, I, I would agree, and I'm kind of just taking a page out of Andrew's book when it comes to how I would do it. Um, he has two Nile monitors set up at my place in my living room. And he literally, because he knew I had no idea what I was doing, he set it up so that I would have to not do anything. And the male has been trying to breed the female for several months now. They're right. too young to breed. But it's like you hear about all the guys who are like, I try to handle my Nile monitors every day to tame them down. Why won't they breed? Well, you are also going into their cage and pissing them off every day. So, you know, I, sure. I feel like yeah, no, I, I think some animals totally right. hand off. Yeah, and some animals yeah, yeah. might hand off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing if, if you handled the Timors every day so they didn't respond with a stress response when you touched them. Yeah. Those may or may not be less likely to breed. I I really don't know. You know, that that's where I, I couldn't say. Certainly it would cut against what, what we normally do. We normally don't say, hey, I'm trying to pair you up. Let me go in there and manhandle you for 10 minutes. Or that, you know. <laughs> right. You know, so I, 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 I agree. I understand. 
I propose an experiment. Rob, we have Eric buy you and me both a pair of Timors. You handle them. I won't. And then we'll meet back here in a few years and see what's going on. I like this idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. Eric? Uh, Start the uh, room, all right? <laughs> sure, no problem. A pair each. Yeah, good job. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, just one pair, though. Maybe we need two pairs to make sure Maybe we have we a real room. You know, you're right. Yeah, I don't want you to, like, I don't want you to, I don't want the season to be going strong for you and then the male craps out, you know what I mean? Exactly or the female right. need to right. put on the right weight, right. you know what I'm you're saying? Right. So 2.2 2 is probably correct. the better. 2.2 2 each. Yeah, that's better is good thinking, Rob. That's a good idea. Yeah. Eric, I'll just have them shipped to your house. I'll pick them up when I see you Friday or <laughs> when we return. Yes. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So, Rob, I know I know we I have talked to you about this uh a lot, but um I'd be curious if you could share with the listeners uh how your Halmahara scrub project is uh progressing for you sure yeah i mean the the upshot is i don't i don't think that anything is happening at this point but i mean Crap. i guess that's, that's not really right to say when i say anything because i do think something's happening i think she's going through her cycle um right i have them set up so that they as we talked about in linked neo cages um so that the female can access the male whenever she wants to. The male actually never goes into her cage, but she'll come into his on a daily basis and just kind of check it out and see what's going on. Um, and she, That's cool. It is very fascinating to watch the behavior in terms of, like, where she likes to bask. You know, essentially never hits the floor. She'll use, and I just have a 29-watt uh, uh, basking bowl uh, there, and she'll sit there, and then she'll go to sit up, over on the males, uh, the first the perch access point in the male's cage. Um, he mostly actually stays on the floor underneath the cork bark, not directly on heat, but uh, within access of heat. Um, and, yeah, I mean, she's off food now. She shows dark, but, I mean, as you know, Eric, man, they, these, these, as much as, you know, any others would do it, change color between night and day. You know, we yeah. all look at her after the lights are off, um, especially this time of year. Man, she looks really dark, just super dark. Um, yeah. But, you know, and the, the thing that I notice now is that this time of year is never super light. Like, you know, that picture that I posted multiple times, the one that's on the site now, too, where she just looks like her light color is very light and then her dark color is just like a super light caramel look to it. Um, right. She, she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't look like that this time of year ever, you know, in the middle of the day or anything like that. Um, so she certainly, her range is more narrow this time of year and she will get darker when she's dark, but I don't know, man, at, at some point, I think it's just a matter of doing them day in, day out, the same thing. And, um, putting them on a schedule. I, my post to MP was <laughs> when I broke down the annual rainfall in Galela Palmahara, um, where I looked at it and converted it and said, okay, well, if I put 0.02 inches of uh, rainfall and translate that into a second of misting, 
And then I, you know, stagger this out. I can actually replicate the seasonality, not in terms of the amount, but the seasonality of that missing. So I have done that. I've been doing that since October or so. Um, and the reason I actually shifted to do that is because there is no clear seasonality to the rain um, that they get there. I was thinking, oh, well, you just missed heavy this, you know, for these three months. Who knows what heavy means, but that's sort of an idea. Right. Um, so I, I looked at it and said, I can't make I can't make sense of what's happening here. So I just needed to convert it into some action that I can effectuate on a day to day basis. For example, today, four seconds of midday. You know, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Right. You know. Right. Um then you look at it and say, Oh, May third. 37 seconds of missing. Obviously, there's a big difference there. Day after that, one second. Two days of nothing. Then four seconds. Then four. Then four. Then one. Then nothing. Uh, Right. There's no real... When It seems like it's... Again, this is all limited, right? I only looked at a year because I needed to figure out some way to convert it. And in a certain sense, too much information would just clog it up so it'd be even more confusing to me. I wouldn't be able to see what was going on. But um, between that, so attempting to do that, which, again, it's not my imagination. Certainly it's my conversion, but it's not my imagination on a day-to-day basis of what's happening, except that it's offset by six months because that's Southern Hemisphere versus Northern Hemisphere. So I did do that. Um, right. And then I have them on a light cycle that runs um, from 13 to 10 um, from the high to low uh, during the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the room naturally cycles down to maybe maybe 70 or so. Looking at the temps there in Galela, which is one of the collecting sites for these, um, I tell you, man, I, I was like, okay, well, I'll see a temp cycle. It'll make sense. It's the same way. There was, there was no pattern. There's no pattern to see. <clears throat> I suppose in, in a very macro sense, you, you might say there's a pattern. But realistically, there just wasn't a pattern to, at least that was obvious to me, in terms of plotting it, plotting out the data and just looking at it and saying, what am I seeing here? Generally speaking, it ranged between the, um, you know, 77 and 87. Right. And I could count on one hand the number of times the nighttime low was lower than that over the course of a year. And I could count on two hands the number of times the daytime high was above 87 or 88 over the course of a year. I mean, that's right. the temperature. That's what it is. Um, in the same way that I talked about with Jeff a little bit earlier, I'm, well, my room naturally does things that accentuate what's happening here. Um, uh-uh. And and, I, and I'm and i playing into that because I think, you know, as we've talked about, that there's probably a list of triggers, and it's not necessarily that you have to hit one, you know, this item A, item B, or item C, but you just want to increase your odds by doing as many things as possible and trying to push the boundaries. So even though realistically their cycle, you know, is not in terms of exposure to daylight, that is not as strong as the 13 hours, you know, 1311 down to 1014 that I'm exposing them to. Hopefully they'll just feel it that much more strongly. Um, right. At the same time, it's not like I'm turning the temps to 50 and making them stick. You know what I mean? So sure. I don't think the light thing could have that impact. Um, the funny thing to me, because all the literature and all the every, everything we've all heard says, man, it, Palmer is just wet. 
all the time. And right. certainly, mm-hmm. when it is wet, it's very wet. <laughs> From looking at the year's worth of data, when it's wet, it's often very wet. But it's not. It's also frequently dry. Um, the total precipitation in terms of rainfall for the year is actually always the same as you get up in Birdsboro. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. maybe just just keep them outside. Just put and just put a little uh you know pick there you go. Put a heat lamp on it, and I put a heat lamp on them and keep them outside. I'll be breathing Helmet Harris before I know it. Right. Right. You know. So I mean, obviously that's being facetious, but that oh, yeah. that Please was the God, point. Was saying, okay, like <laughs> how much? You know, everyone says, oh, it's always wet. I looked at it. The the total rain, you know, total average rainfall. Not to say it's the same as you. Same same that you. Mm-hmm. Do. Did you say where you live is particularly wet? No. So, right. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's Eric and I had talked about this. I'm not saying anyone's wrong. Certainly they're just speaking to their experience when they were there. But that doesn't mean it's the complete picture, you know? Like, sure. if it rained, Birdsboro, if I only showed up on those days and it rained a lot, I would say, man, it's really wet and it rains a lot. But that doesn't mean I have a complete picture of what happened. Right. Right. Yeah, that's uh I don't know. Hopefully uh we get, you know, hopefully you crack that. I think I I believe you will. Crazy thing is is uh my female um refused food for the first time I've ever had her. Um, it was weird. Oh. I've never had her do that. I don't have a male. I only have a female. <laughs> That's why I was going to send her to Rob, just say, you Why know. are you ruining this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you know what? The, the problem is, is that you send her to Rob, and now Rob has to take seven years to get her all acclimated and ready to roll. So yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that, that is the thing with them. I, I think there's, I don't know that it's seven years, but I do think it's why, you know, who are we seeing that's having – that's edging close to success, right? It's OKC Zoo, and it's what does the zoo have? I always say this, and I, I feel like a broken record, but to me it feels so vital, especially yeah. compared to mm-hmm. me up until the last 18 months, or you, Owen, up until the last, you know, 18 mm-hmm. months, is like as young people, we move around, we're renting a place. Maybe we're renting a place where we're not supposed to have stuff. So they, you know, you're, next thing you know, your uh, rogue reptiles are moving them out in the middle of the night. You're not going to be bringing home a heart pythons if you have to move them out in the middle of the night. You know? Yeah, like, it would not work well. So it, it, the zoo, the advantage they have is just the routine. You know, yeah. of every what's you know what what's the female at OKC? One of you know, I guess they've had two that have thrown slugs at this point. But what's that animal doing? It's doing the same thing on this Tuesday that it was doing. You know. Five years ago on this Tuesday, sitting in the same cage with the same cage mate, you know, thinking about eating the same one. Right. You know. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it, especially with, you know, when it comes to scrubs. It seems, uh, you know, long-term, if you want to be successful with them, that's a long-term project for sure. So... But yeah, and I, I understand the, the frustration, oh. you know. I mean, if, mm-hmm. right, if it's, it's certainly, <laughs> it's one thing to say, oh, it's 
not instant gratification. It's potentially never gratification. If there's <laughs> gratification yeah, by yeah. producing them, you know. <laughs> yeah. You could you could keep going and never get it. Yeah. Most most right, other like, reptile species, if you just if you keep at it, you'll get lucky. I mean, even if you never repeat it, you you'll still might get lucky one season. With a lot of scrubs, you could like Rob could keep trucking and doing everything right and never hit it. Yeah, or, I mean, you know, she could get to the point, you know, where, man, she's she's totally on it. She's going to do it. Next thing you know, she gets a brain tumor, and she, yeah. you, know, you know, falls off a branch after, you know, 18 years of work, and there it goes. There it was. Yeah. You know, or just, like, or it's, like it's totally, where you, totally how it you goes. You get the eggs, but none of them are viable. It's like you, you could go even go that route where – Okay, problem number one is solved. I got eggs. Now problem number two, get fertile eggs. I mean, like, that's – you could also go down that road. For sure. Let's hope oh, man. Why are you doing that again? Yeah. Psychopath. Oh, man. I just don't understand where he has the room for all these monitors, these big lizard things. Who, Andrew? Andrew, you what I mean Andrew's plan is clearly oh, well. just to outsource to you and have you build, you know, the he, he twenty I, by twenty rooms for his stuff. He and I trade. Um like right now he has my roughies and a few other carpets that he's like power feeding for me. This way I can say I don't power feed my animals. Oh um, my god. Oh, so. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> I now mean, the truth I is out. <laughs> is, is he keeping them I, in? Uh, is he keeping them so that they have 135 degree basking spots as well? Oh yeah. Well, I, he can't unplug the monitor thing. He's cooking them all. No, uh, he's, right. I mean that's what he's cleaning the jumbo rat every day. You know, every day, every stuff. day. <laughs> I I had to yell at him the one time because he's like, oh, I fed your diamond python every time I was hungry. I'm like, no, 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 they don't know when to stop eating. Don't feed the diamond ever. So I had to take them back. So, but they came back like twice the size they were when I sent them there. So, anyway, I was wondering. I was wondering that because when I saw your diamond python, you posted a picture, and I'm thinking, geez, my mine is. I know, right? Freaking <laughs> tiny. Good lord. <laughs> that one, that one kind of got away from me, but um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm figuring shit out. It's all right. So, now, Eric, this is different, right, than the picture he posted where I responded to you and said, is he trying to show us, like, you know, the follicular development? And you said, no, <laughs> it's like eight months old. That's a rat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the same. All right, all right. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a monster. What do you want here? So, what it so he's got those animals, and I have some other animals because he does run out of cages just fast because um, he raises a lot of his baby monitors in groups. And, uh-huh. like, one week they'll be all happy, all sharing their food, and then the next week they've killed one of them, and they're all eating right. him, and now they're picking on the other one, so he has to separate them out. And what he does is he continuously separates them out until he has his breeding groups, which are normally – one male and maybe two or three females that he gets along with, along with. And that's how he ends up getting success with the eggs. 
So mm-hmm. the reason I have the Nile monitors is because Niles apparently jump really quick for, to the I'm going to murder everything in my cage phase. So Great. out of his group of ten Niles, two of them survived, and they happen to be a pair and they happen to be in my house. And then I have a pair of his Doomrolls monitors because the Doomrolls got kicked out of their cage to make room for more Nile monitors. So they're here, and, you know, I don't really do too much with them. So, yeah, that's the whole deal. I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect. For, I mean, it's really unreal the work he's doing with these things. But I, I yeah. do think it's hilarious that he likes these species that are, like, commonly considered to be the garbage animals of the hobby. You know, which is great. Oh, yeah. I, I like that he likes what he likes, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's just very funny. Like, uh, you was- know, like, it'd be one thing if you said, Oh yeah, well you know, he's making room for you know lacies. You know, let's get some bells lacies in there. It's another to yeah. say, oh no no no, the, you know he, he needs to have thirty five, thirty dollar Niles. It's great. Well, no, it's, <laughs> and that's that's what I can't get off because I'm like, so because he's got now he's got Western and Eastern Niles, and he's sitting there, he's trying to, to explain to me the difference between the two, and I'm like, that one looks spottier and has a black tail. And he's like, shut up. I'm like, all right, well, I can't help you here. So, and that's what he does. Well, You're and, right. It's like 30. Owen, to your credit, yeah. right, shut up means that's correct. You're just not appreciating how that's hey, Thank you. It's, 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 the same, it's the same tone that Eric gives me when he's like, look at this IJ. I'm like, it looks brown. It's like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the same shut up and get out of my snake room that I hear from him. So, it's just kind of how it goes. Now, with the breeding of the Niles and the reason he's kind of investing so much into these thirty, forty dollar animals is because he's kind of convinced that, that faucet of importation with them will be turned off soon. Sure. So, so I mean, and not just because of the invasiveness of Niles in Florida, um, but also because of the fact that they're bringing in like. Thousands of cool things. Yeah, sure. Actually, that's a good point. I'd forgotten about that. When I was down in Tampa, we did go down to the um, the waterway to check out mm-hmm. all, all the Niles that live out there. All the Niles. That was pretty cool, actually. The big Niles. Yeah, that, that yep. was so you know that was something. He he's already prepared and he's already trying to set up breeding groups. So when the rules are passed down, he has and the importation faucet does stop. He now has raised up animals that are ready to breed, if not already breeding. Yeah. So he's kind of doing I mean, a I future thing. Right. The, the point, the, my question would be, right, and, and this is yeah. something you can speak to since you're, you know, at least watching the darn things in your house, yes. is, <laughs> like, I, I get that that's accepting that all of that is true. I mean, are mm. they something that is a good pet, so to speak? Like, should that boy be, you know, it's easy to say, me, Kimberly <laughs> Rock Monitors, fabulous animals that do great. Yeah. I love, couldn't love yeah. them anymore. And I feel confident giving them to, you know, any established monitor person. I've always been told yes. that Niles are mean and get huge and I won't have the space to properly care for I don't believe I will have the space to properly care for them as they get older. For right now, as juveniles, I absolutely love them because I am perfectly fine being hands-off with them. I yeah. put their food on a plate, I put the plate in the front of the cage, and I close the door. 
They run around to eat. I literally gave them a ton of cork bark tubes and then buried those cork bark tubes under a ton of dirt, to which they are spending probably three hours a day just doing nothing but excavating the tunnels, which keeps right. them occupied and busy. And it's almost like you got to stop looking at it like a lizard. you got to give them shit to do or they run around and tear apart the cage. Um, they will hang out on their heat, like under the lamp. They don't give a shit if I'm walking around. They might puff up and then run into a tunnel, but that's it. Um, but, again, I, I'm perfectly fine being completely hands-off with them. I don't think that they're an animal that would be somebody like, I don't think you should have your $10 Savannah monitor for a month and decide that this one's doing well. I'm going to go get a Nile next show. That's a stupid decision. Um, but that's kind of almost half the collection that Andrew has is animals that I think would be more of an advanced or intermediate because he's got the black throats, he's got the beast throats, he's got the mangroves. Dude, I don't think he has anything that I wouldn't consider an advanced fucking lizard. I know, right? Like, he's got, he, he is uh, you know, spinelosis now. So. Yeah, it's not... It's not a negative. I'm just saying, like, oh, looking yeah. at it from the perspective of, like, who the fuck is he going to sell these things to? Like, it's amazing I that he makes them. Know. Who's he going to sell them to? Like, but he what, does, the modern people do the same thing, like, what Jeff was saying. They don't sell to people. They're just like, hey, you do great work with Niles. I would like Niles. I have a lace monitor. How about you and me do a thingy? And then they do that, and that's what they do. So they barely sell to people, to the public. They almost exclusively talk and trade to each other. Like, uh, one of Andrew's friends in Philadelphia works almost exclusively with water monitors. And he and Andrew are going back and forth about breeding water monitors and working with the black roads and that they're going to trade eventually. When pe- when this pair breeds here and that pair breeds there, they'll, they'll swap. So, yeah, Andrew just sent a bunch of, I think, two ornates down to that guy to breed or something like that. So it's it's basically trading around. So... This is right. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I, I couldn't have more respect for it. It's just, it's fa- totally fascinating and totally, oh, yeah, it's funny. totally strange, you know, because it's like, I'm just looking at it saying, I, I couldn't, yes, water monitors, totally amazing, right? I couldn't have yeah. one, let alone six, no. let alone two dozen, you know, like, yeah. I don't have the space, you know? <laughs> exactly. The space or. Just the time and the time, the food, the, you know, the the money to put the food into the darn things, you know. Exa- exactly. It my my like three month food bill is like maybe maybe a month for Andrew and his friends just because of what those animals need to eat. And it's just funny because I've pretty much have been dragged kicking and screaming into monitors. It was like one of those, here, hold this. And I'm like, well, what the hell do I do with it? And then being told what to do on the fly. So it, it's been fun. But it, what, if I did not know Andrew or had this, like, thing where he was right there, would I keep him? Hell no. Like, hell no. <laughs> I I am the kind of guy who will stare down a angry 10-foot white lip coming right at me. Give me, like, a two-foot Nile monitor, and no, I don't want to touch it. it no, this thing's got nails and teeth, and it's got other weapons. No thanks. Right. So, with that sandwich yet? Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, it, it hurts. <laughs> it does. It hurts. Mean, you know, and if they get you up at the thick part, you know, thick base of the tail, man, that can cut you. It'll cut oh, you. Yeah. Like, oh, you yeah. know, well, it, it, no joke. 
<laughs> and it's funny as hell because Andrew has all these monitors. Andrew's wife does all the iguanas. So, like, if it, for what, like, what little space it had has now been taken over by, like, Cuban or by, by freaking uh, rhino iguanas. So, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like their place must be totally fascinating. I, I just, it is. I'd have to see it to believe it. Like, it sounds crazy. Oh, yeah, it's fun. It's funny. So, and with the space, you'd be like, I could fit, like, so many snakes in here. It's like, <laughs> it's all taken up by lizards. But, right. yeah. Yep. Hi, Eric. You're still here. I am. <laughs> I, I am here. Um, so. We've ignored you, but you, that doesn't mean you're not We have, but you're yeah. That's okay. You can talk your monitor talk. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's like, I had crested geckos once. So, like. I had an animal with legs. <laughs> Hooray! Nah. That was the funny... I'm going to set up a tank of these guys. They're going to be fun. Like a week later, he's like, I hate these things. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So, well, are you going to join the club? Are you going to stop doing shows, man? I'm telling you, it's the way to live. Eric and I are convinced. Me? The way. Just do Tinley. That's it. I, To be honest with you, um, after the past two seasons that I've had since I moved up here, that has been a very serious consideration of mine is to quit doing shows because I haven't had that many babies since I moved up here because I can't get everything right yet. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I will, I seriously considered backing down to just doing Tinley Park um, and letting it ride. You know, just going up to Hamburg and the shows to get my food and scout out animals. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just think, think about it. you know, it'll give you so much more time to spend with your own stuff at home and not worrying about it from the commercial side. Just looking at it saying, mm-hmm. hey, man, I'm just enjoying my own stuff. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think I think you'll enjoy it. To be honest, I you you, you kind of, with, with a lot of, with the whole move, and the stress of moving the whole collection. And, of course, I did have some animals get sick and uh, a bunch of other things that ended up uh, happening, you know, uh, which I can attribute to some of it to the move, some of it being just animals and uh, it being their time to go. Uh, it, it, kind of got, I kind of got pulled away and a little bit more stressed out um, this season as opposed to other ones. And Eric can definitely tell you that that was, uh, it's been one of those seasons for me. Yeah. So, and and it was one of the like you know, um, which is probably one of the reasons that I am going with him to uh, the Southern Carpa Fest because I need a break. I just need to kind of get a little bit get a recharge. rejuvenated. Yeah, get a recharge, kind of reconnect and get rejuvenated back into the hobby. Um, that's kind of why get I was speaking to a few friends one. of mine. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of why I started getting colubrids again, because it's like getting back to the basics, getting back to what brought you into it, getting some of the animals that originally got you to as part of it. Um, so it is one of the decisions that I will probably be thinking about in the next 
couple months is if I'm going to continue doing regular reptile shows like Hamburg, um, which is probably the only one I'm really regularly do anymore because I already dropped out of Oaks and uh, the other ones around the area. So it's something that I'm toying with, I can be honest with that. Um, yeah, not I mean, sure honestly, if I'm going to do it. make that choice for you, you know? Oh, yeah. If you don't have the babies, oh, yeah. you don't have the babies, you know. Uh, it, so, let me put it this way. I have 30 eggs on the ground, um, and I have, I have four babies that hatched. So out of those 34 babies, I have to try to make that last till next season. So, and I, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Will I have enough to fill up my entire displays at Tinley in October? Probably not. Um Will that be a problem? No, because the guy I share a table with is a hoarder. So he will <laughs> always have animals to fill the table with. Because yeah. I don't want to be standing there going, can you explain to me your caramel albinos? They're not mine. They're that guy's. And I have to stand there the entire time. I would leave the table and go shopping. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I think – the uh I can say for myself, you know, it's kind of like you get burnt out. Um the one thing that I've been doing is just sort of like learning about other species and yeah. when I when I'm doing that and I'm I'm mostly reading books. I know people don't read books anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, uh it's it's probably the one spot that's probably uh people should visit most often at a reptile show and probably don't um, the book, you know, guy. That, yeah. the, the table that has all the books. Um, anyway, right. um, what, I, what I've found is that it has rejuvenated, uh, my feeling because I'm now focusing on, um, learning about new things, um, and not really getting involved with the drama of, mm. of the day to day, uh, you know, I would say Python world. And, uh, I'm focusing on my animals, and I, I, I got to be honest, man. I kind of love it. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of like you get more fun behind the scenes. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what, there's there's the thing of you know, I, I'm gonna nip that in the bud right now. I, you said the word you said the word sparked out, and whenever you say those words in the reptile community, it's like the vultures start circling above my carcass. So it's like. <laughs> I'm I'm not burnt out, and even if I was, none of y'all would be getting my rough scales. So don't even email me. All right, that is not happening. So no, it, well, it's one of those situations. You kind of got to just get reconnected, get rejuvenated, and either that can happen from babies hatching, like the babies that hatched this past week. I love seeing that. So you know, I'm hoping that the next class that hatches is going to be even cooler. But I would also, you almost got to just find your way back to where your passion really lies. So yeah. I, and we're just trying to find that out. And will that be, you know, I'm hoping that in October I can black face white lips again. Um, it's been, they've been an integral part of my collection. I haven't had them in a while. So right. I want to get those back going. Um, I, I'm hoping in the summertime I can finally get the damn temps right and I can bring my roughies home. Because, you know, even just going down and hanging out with them at Andrew's place is just awesome to me. Um, and then just kind of hoping to get maybe it's getting into a new project like getting the team horse 
Or maybe it's going to Bill's house, getting drunk off my ass, and passing out at his pool. I mean, there could be numerous things that could do that. Shaving his you eyebrows. Are to, you are to save <laughs> what? <laughs> Having Eric shave my eyebrows. See, now you've done it. Now I don't want to go. So yeah. it's just, um, it's just, it's one of those things. And you know, even on the other side of Carpet Fest, I might feel ten times better. Who Dude. knows? Dude. But, Dude, do you, do you realize yeah. that you're going to be going what? down to Texas to hang yeah. out? You're going to be yeah. hanging out with yeah. the guy yeah. that is the coastal guy. He's the coastal guy, man. Fennel. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude. That's maybe, pretty- maybe I need to buy maybe I need to buy fennel animals from Mike while he's there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so saying, like, you know. for me, hey guys, when I, I went... I got to ask for you. I got to ask for you when you do that, when you talk to Mike. You got to ask him yeah. about his Sawu python, and you also got to ask him about the Calabar burrowing python. You got to. I've do heard... that for me, okay? And then you can give us an All update right. next I, week. I, I've heard oh. weird things about the burrowing pythons, about, like, feeding and keeping them. Because they, apparently the way they eat is they stumble into, like, rodentness and then eat everything and then slither away. So... I've yeah, no, I mean, they're totally fascinating, things. cool animals that yeah. come in as wild caughts for, you know, the, the $10 pet shop animals. They're relatively uncommon now, and you just, they're never bred. Truly, yeah. really and truly, never. Yeah. They're never but bred I know Mike because they're hard to trying, breed. So I'd, I'd love to see it. They're, they're hard to breed because nobody bothers. They're hard to breed no, or... Nobody yeah, they're does. very difficult to breed. Even when they come in gravid, um, uh-huh. the eggs frequently don't hatch. It's huh. rare even for them to hatch them out. Um, it's sort of it's, 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 funny. it's like the it's like the ball pythons from before. You know, before they started breeding, you know, with their eyes closed at four months for males or whatever. Like, right, right. You know, back in the day, ball pythons used to be hard to breed because they'd be these wild adults that. You know, just wouldn't they just wouldn't do it. And these so right. these function in that very same way. And you never see small ones captured. So it's always these old adults. And it's still only eighteen inches, two feet long, but they could be twenty years old. Right. Jesus. Wasn't there a guy on uh, reptile radio that was breeding them? That was a guest. He was. He, I, I think it was like a side thing that he did. Man, I can't remember who that was. I, I used to set up at Hamburg next to a guy who had them on his table all the time. And now I know that they were imports. But he used to tell me the way he used to keep them is he used to get those boxes of, like, live rat fuzzies and the bedding, and he would just chuck it in the cage because then the burrowing python would kind of stumble across them and then eat everybody, and then so they're away. But, like, he threw it bedding and all and, like, five or six rat pinks just, like, in the cage underneath like a hide and the python would find it within a day eat everybody and then so they're off yeah no i believe it and they would they would actually unlike the ball pythons they frequently do well they just don't breathe yeah you know they'll eat you know sort of those tricks like what you're talking about um i presume that's outback that you're talking about it is they're kind of i was not sources this time really Okay. It was not out. I know they hatched them too. I assume it's so. where he got. I assume it's where he got his calivars, his, his burrowing pythons. But uh, it was not Outback who actually, like, I set up next to. So. Sure. Okay. Well, and 
and the key point, right, the key distinction here, more stuff to research, Eric, is mm-hmm. when we're saying these burrowing pythons, we're talking uh, the Calabar burrowing pythons, not the New World burrowing pythons, Loxotemus, which are another, or Mexican burrowing pythons, which are truly fabulous, fascinating snakes. Dan Grumbach has some. Other than that, basically don't exist here in the States. Truly amazing animals. Truly amazing. Wow. wow. Yeah. I'll have to check it yep. out. <laughs> yeah, I've hey, heard about them before, but uh, yeah, I've heard about them before, but I've never really like, you know, uh, maybe learned about them. You know, uh, just in passing, yeah. I heard about. Them. Huh. Awesome. All right. Well, we will definitely do that. I, I, I will. I'll ask them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah, Eric. Eric will. Um, you don't want me to try to ask questions because um, I'm on vacation. So if I'm sober at any point during our little trip, Eric, something's gone horribly wrong. So <laughs> you right, better ask all the questions. You lose your eyebrows, though, and it's fine. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. I can't. Well, if I fall asleep standing up, can he reach my eyebrows? I don't no. know. No, okay. <laughs> no, Bill. Bill would give him a step ladder. All right. So no, you're Bill right. would. Bill anybody. would put me on his shoulders, and I would <laughs> get the job done. No problem. Higher, higher. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, it's over. All right. Yeah, I can't trust Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I mean, well. um, a couple things uh, that uh, also that uh, we have in the works. Well, I sort of have in the works, and I'm sure that Owen's going to want to come along. <laughs> I have in the works, but I'm going to make him do it too. Okay. So, um, go on. <laughs> so after the Northeast Carpet Fest, um, we're yeah. probably going to do some field herping um, at a spot called uh, Black Hawk Mountain. Um See what we can find there. Um, I'm also trying to I get. Can, a tr- What's that? Well, I mean, I can tell you right now that uh, I was walking my dog just down the street, and he and I ran into this adult uh, eastern water snake just right up the block. So it's like this is going to be like the perfect time for herping if we go right after Carpet Fest. Yeah. So, um. The other trip that I'm trying to put together is to head down to Florida. And uh, I was talking to uh, KJ, and he said that, um, you know, he would take us out to some of the spots that he's there, go down there for a weekend, maybe come across some pygmy rattlesnakes or some eastern diamondbacks or, you know, um, that kind of stuff. So hopefully sometime – Maybe in August, I'm trying to time it out with uh, uh, maybe having a Daytona show the same weekend, you know, that kind of deal. That would be cool, yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. you know, cool weekend trips to get away, get your inner hurt nerd uh, tingling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and now it's wrong. All right, so. <laughs> uh, well... We're going to cut off at any second, so first, Rob, why don't you Rob, throw out your, your website? Out yeah. Sure. Okay. So, uh, as I say, finally, all the links work, and it's got all the plans <laughs> for this year and all that stuff. So, go check it out. It's 
You can get there either by going to rhinorats.com or highplaneshirp.com. Also got the Facebook uh, thing, High Plains Herp uh, should get you there. Or like me, Rob Stone, on uh, we'll be friends on Facebook or whatever. And as long as you're not a bot, then it's cool with me. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Cool. I, thanks for coming and hanging out with us and helping us get through the insular boa. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no I mean, thank you guys for having me. That was really great. And it's really too bad that it got cut off there because Jeff had yeah. a lot of amazing stuff to say. But I was glad to be a part of it. And maybe if he comes back, uh, just maybe you guys will tolerate me a little bit more. But I'll definitely yeah. I'll, I'll hop off here so you guys can close out. Okay, man. Cool. Thanks, cool. Thanks, man. See you soon. All right. Let's run this down real quick. Um, you know all the carpet fests that are coming up. Uh, we got the Southern Carpet Fest this Saturday in Arlington, Texas. The Southwest Carpet Fest is Friday, March 20th. Uh, that's out in California. The Northeast Carpet Fest is May 21st in Birdsboro, PA. Uh, Northwest Carpet Fest is September 10th. So pretty much got all the corners covered. Um, right now, the Northeast Carpet Fest is doing a booster uh, shirt to raise money for U.S. Arc. Uh, you get a cool uh, Carpet Fest T-shirt, and all 100% of the proceeds go to U.S. Arc. Uh, so uh, make sure you go over, and uh, you can find the links over on the uh, Facebook page, Morelia Python Radio. I'll take you right to it. Um, yep. And Morelli Python Radio, uh, I, I'm hoping you guys like these uh, et cetera shows. Uh, if you want to hear more of them, just send me some ideas at info at Morelli Python Radio. Uh, you can message either me or Owen on uh, Facebook uh, as well. Um, and check out our Facebook page, Morelli Python Radio. You can see what's going on with us. Um, let's see what else. Uh, and then I think that's it for that, ebmorelia.com. That's me. If you want to get in touch with me, Eric at ebmorelia.com. That's all I got. All right, cool. Uh, you can go to rogue-reptiles for me. Check out all the latest stuff we have, all the happenings at Rogue, um, as well as the updates on our breeding journal. Uh, we're going to be doing some we're doing some website tweaks, so it's going to take a little bit to get everything back up and running. But if you have any questions, you can contact us via email there. You can also go and find Rogue Reptiles on Facebook.com. Give us a like. If you have any babies that you purchased from Rogue and like to have them in our sold babies album on Facebook, just send me the photo. Tell me what the animal's name is and give me their baby number if you still got it. Because I'll add that up there, no problem. Uh, I will not be at Hamburg this Saturday. I will be in Texas. So if you are wandering around Hamburg looking for me, you will not find me. Um, I'll see everybody there in the June show. And what we'll say is thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you all next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night.